Sportsnet today on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Good Sunday afternoon, everybody. Roger Lajoie with you. It is Sportsnet Today on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Great to have you with us wherever you are listening from and however you're listening to us. Next three hours, I'll be with you until 4 o'clock. Lots to discuss. As always, you can reach me on Twitter at the Raj 590 at the Raj 590 Email roger at sportsnet590.ca if you prefer. And the text line open for all of our shows, 590-590. If you're texting, please, name and location so we can give you proper credit for your what I'm sure will be tremendous comments throughout the course of the show. We'll keep you up to date since we're on Sunday afternoon this week on all the NFL scores going on. Jacksonville getting the big upset win to start off the day. A lot of other games underway, and we'll run them down for you. And we got a poll on Twitter, and the poll on Twitter today revolves around the Blue Jays. Even though the Blue Jays, of course, are not, as we all know, in the postseason, I'm very curious to the die-hard Jays fans out there. Who are you cheering for? I know a lot of people aren't cheering for anybody. Once your team is out, uh, I don't care anymore. However, there's an interesting mix of teams left from the Blue Jay perspective. I do not expect a lot of votes in this poll today for Boston <laughs> from diehard Jays fans. You just can't bring yourself to cheer for Boston. The same thing if the Yankees were still playing. But is it Boston, Houston, Atlanta, or Los Angeles? The obvious Canadian connection both on the field and the front office makes Atlanta the favorites here. I would think Boston would be at the bottom. I don't think anybody's forgiven Houston, or have they? Like, who cheers for the Astros unless you're from Houston or an Astros fan? Probably nobody. And the L.A. Dodgers defending World Series champions, okay, they're going to have some love. Veteran team, a lot of fans of the Dodgers around, I suppose. But give us your comment, too, as to why you voted the way you did. I think the postseason has been terrific. Boston-Houston series is shaping up like a a classic. The Red Sox hanging in there against a a better Houston team. But you could make an argument that the Blue Jays, the Yankees, Tampa Bay, and Houston are all better than Boston. And they are where they are. So your picks and your comments, welcome on Twitter at the Raj 590 and on text as well, Roger at Sportsnet590.ca. Lots of hockey talk in the first hour today. Victoria Maniash later in this hour. She's an NHL writer at ESPN.com. Take a look at the opening week in the NHL, the first Saturday night in the books in the NHL. We'll hear from Victoria and run it down with her in just a few moments. Mike Stevens, who's with the Hockey News and also the co-host of the Staff and Graph podcast, will join us to talk about the Leafs win over Ottawa after Ottawa wins on Thursday and the Leafs of course beat Montreal on Wednesday so the early returns on the Leafs and their 2-1 and one record throughout the course of the show we'll also talk some NBA Stephen Lung is the NBA editor for Sportsnet we'll talk to him about the Raps uh, season opener uh, being just days away and lots more to come lots of NFL talk throughout the course of the show and we'll update the scoreboard and again, reach us anytime on Twitter at the Raj 590. Email Roger at Sportsnet590.ca or text 590-590. Name and location if you're texting. And our leadoff hitter is Mike Stevens, writer for the Hockey News Coast of the Staff and Graph 
podcast as well. Mike, thanks very much for being with us. Always fun to chat with you. And let's talk about the Maple Leafs who get the 3-1 win over the Ottawa Senators and the Scarborough Connection front and center for sure. Michael Bunting getting a goal, Wayne Simmons. But I think more of a relief uh, for the Leaf fans. After a loss to Ottawa, they were able to bounce back and get the two points. Yeah, Scarborough was definitely uh, president of the building last night. It was it was pretty remarkable. But yeah, look, the Leafs, the Leafs definitely that was a game they desperately needed. And if you're going to be a team that is going that has the championship aspirations that they do this season, um, you need to be able to beat a Senators team that is missing arguably its best player, definitely its best forward, and Brady Kachuk. Um, they weren't able to do that in Ottawa in one of the more you know future games we've seen, and everything kind of went wrong. And there's a Pete Morazic injury and all that. But the Leafs, they came out, and, what, and the biggest thing, I think, is that they started strong last night. That was one of the best starts I've seen, not just, of, not just from this season, but just of this era in general, because it seems like starting late is always a, has always been a problem for, for the Leafs in, this, in their current era. They were flying last night. Um, there were a lot of players, specifically Alex Kerfoot, who, you know, I, I was at the morning skate yesterday, and he was saying, like, he admitted he needs to be better, and he came out flying, and, you know, he, he had a two-point night, and he was, you know, his line was one of the best on the ice. So it was, it, it was, it was, a, it was a game that they desperately needed to happen, uh, and a game that they uh, obviously won and got contributions from pretty much everyone they needed uh, to get contributions from, at least those who were struggling, except for maybe Nick Ritchie, who had a, another troubling game um, in his first three. But yeah, it was. If, if you are a Leafs fan, you should definitely feel a little more comforted after last night. So, Mike, let's just talk for a second before we get into the particulars of last night's game about this regular season again. It's only three mm-hmm. games old, but it's already a topic in terms of, of what it all means, what the trends we're looking for in this team, what we can expect from the Maple Leafs. And you mentioned uh, Kachuk out of the lineup for Ottawa, no question, but Austin Matthews also out of the lineup for the Maple Leafs. How about the way they have responded without Matthews in the lineup and is there enough depth on this team to make up for times when the top players in this lineup won't be in the lineup there should be enough depth to make up for that I mean when you have like Matthews yes he's, you know, he's one of the best players in the league and, and all that but there's a reason why you employ three you know double digit million dollar players three guys who are now I believe with the uptick in, in, uh, in the CBA when it came to pricing uh, like the minimum salary, I believe Matthews, Marner, and Tavares now all make uh, over eleven million dollars. So, like, there's a reason why you have three of those guys, and that's because if one of them goes down, at least you have two remaining. And other teams usually don't have two uh, two superstars behind the, behind their, I guess, preeminent superstar when they go down. Tavares and Marner. I mean, Marner was flying last night. It didn't go his way. There were a little. There were a couple little mistakes he made, but he clearly was a man on a mission. And Tavares, he he should have gotten. I would say the one an easy goal that was robbed by one of the best gloves I've ever seen. But in terms of depth, I mean, what what was I guess promising last night is that everyone who scored was a depth player. It was Wayne Simmons. It was Michael Bunting. It was Alex Kerfoot. You know, it was those guys who were all you know in the bottom six, and they all came to play. Specifically, Bunting. Um, I thought that I thought the comps and uh, and Kasha were also really good. Like this is it's a promising group of players. They will. The only problem is, is that I, I do think that this is somewhat of a a thinner group than than last season, and they dealt with a lot of injuries last season and, and were able to keep their their heads above water. They need Tavares and they need Marner to really step up when a guy like Matthews goes down. So far, that hasn't hasn't happened, and luckily they've been getting contributions from guys lower in their lineup. But this team, you know, like they, they go, they will go as far as their as their highest paid players will take them. 
And so far, they haven't really taken him anywhere. It's been a lot of the depth guys that, that have been pulling the weight. So, I mean, that you that's if you're Kyle Dubas and, and Sheldon Keith, you're definitely happy with that. You're definitely happy that you have a, you have what seems to be a deep roster, but you also want to get your superstars going. And so now Matthews is, is apparently um, thinking that he's going to be okay to play tomorrow. That's going to be a huge boon to the lineup, and uh, fans will be able to actually see what that Leafs lineup looks like at, at full strength. But you know, it would have been nice to see a little bit more production from a Marner and from a Tavares because Nylander, another member of, of that core, has definitely taken a step up and being arguably the best player. I don't even think it's arguably. He's been the best Leaf so far, for sure. Every time he's on the ice, he's the best player on the ice. And so him finding that extra gear goes a long way to helping them sort of shield their lineup when, when their big money guys go down. Yeah, interesting, and it's a proverbial catch-22. The big stars not producing all that much, but the bottom six are. End of the day, they're 2-1, and one, so you don't like the fact that you'd like to get, obviously, points out of out of Marner and Tavares. Second uh, positive side is Simmons, Bunting, and Kerfoot scoring the goals is, is a good thing too, Mike. How about goaltending depth? That is already a concern with Peter Morazic out for looks to be 14 days. Michael Hutchinson, <laughs> it's, it's amazing, Michael Hutchinson, uh, up from the Marlies on an emergency basis. Level of concern with the goaltending, Mike? You know, it, it, it is relatively concerning just in terms of Peter Mrazek because I, I didn't get that contract when it was signed. I, I, you know, this is a look, he's a decent, he's a decent goaltender, absolutely, but I mean, he's a guy who has never been healthy for a full season. It just seems like this is his biggest problem. And then literally, you know, a period or two periods into into his first game of the Leafs, he goes down. And now he's signed for the next three years at almost $4 million per season. That's a little dicey. Now, Jack Campbell is their number one, without a doubt. They, the team loves him. He looks like he just has the poise of a starting goaltender. He, you know, he carries himself that way. He keeps the team, like, uh, I believe it was T.J. Brody who said at the morning skate yesterday that, you know, he keeps us in games that, we're not like that we're not supposed to be in that's exactly what jack campbell's been doing he's he is their rock and if you're looking for a guy that commit i would say a long-term deal like this is a guy who you know with a couple more good starts maybe another maybe if you can keep this up through through half the season like then you i think have a solid enough sample size to know this is your guy but that that having him is, is extremely important the only problem is that he also has dealt with injury issues in the past and so if if both Morazic and uh, Campbell go down, you're looking at a Michael Hutchinson starting goaltender and then potentially Joseph Wall, who's not ready yet, or uh, um, Eric Kahlgren, uh, who, who was signed to, I believe it was a, an AHL deal with the team. Like, it's, it, it's thin, like, it's very, it, it's thin pickings behind Jack Campbell. So he is the most, uh, you know, they've, they've proven they can win without Austin Matthews here. And I think at the end of the day, he's the most important player. But right now, and I think in the regular season, Jack Campbell is the most important player. And so they need to do everything they possibly can to keep that guy healthy because having a guy like Morazic, and they've hinged a lot of money on him and a, and a lot of uh, usage on him as well. And for, to have him with his injury issues and now with him going down, it put them in a position where, they had to, you know, get a guy, pull a guy up from, you know, Robart's library at UG to, to, you know, dress for them last night. That, that's not a situation you want to be in. And so, yeah, it, it's no no team wants to have Michael Hodgson as their starting goaltender. He's a great guy. I think he's a, he's a fine – I think he's an NHL caliber goaltender. But 
I don't think the plan is for him to be in the NHL this year, and unfortunately, circumstances dictated that. So goaltending depth is somewhat of an issue so far. Yeah, it is amazing how important, we all know how important the position of goaltending is, and it's still in this day and age, we are seeing backups coming from who knows where. I know injuries happened. I know you can only carry so many goaltenders, but it's it's still uh, pretty phenomenal. Mike Stevens with us from the Hockey News, host of the Staff and Graph podcast as well. I'm Roger Lajoie, Sportsnet Today, Sportsnet 59, The Fan. Great to have you with us on this uh, Sunday. So New York Rangers now come to town. Each game, a separate end. Mike, and if Matthews gets back in the lineup, a talking point for sure for the Maple Leafs. But when we look at the importance of the regular season, this will be an ongoing discussion. How does this team stay motivated, especially when you're playing so many games quickly? And another thing, you know, that's going to be an ongoing topic, and that's why I talk so much about the depth right off the top of our discussion, is a truncated schedule, Olympic year, and what have you. It seems there's games every second night because, well, Mike, there's games every second night. And that challenge for the Maple Leafs, especially based on how many people are sitting back looking at this team saying, ah, call me when you get to the playoffs. But, Mike, they got to get to the playoffs first, so they got to find a way to be motivated 82 times. Yeah, but at the same, like, I think that they're, the way that they can stay motivated is they realize last season, you know, it was, a very, it was a very condensed, very truncated schedule, too, and they dominated it, and then they went into the playoffs, and they blew it. And I think that, like, we, as you saw, like, the, the Amazon documentary, I thought, you know, was relatively underwhelming in terms of access but what it did show a lot of fans and a lot of observers alike is that they knew what their issues were from day one of the season and they didn't fix them they just kept going and they thought they they you know they they trusted the process and i think a lot of the time that's the right move but they didn't really make any adjustments to what were eventually fatal flaws for them and so when it comes to motivation i mean this is a do or die season for them if they blow it again if they lose in the first round or if they you know, for, or if they even don't make the playoffs. And this is a good division, a good Atlantic division. Like, Boston is very good. Tampa is still Tampa. Uh, you know, Florida is, is on the rise, could even win the division, you know, like stuff like that. The, the, a playoff spot is not guaranteed for them. And if, if, they, if, if they blow it, if they lose in the first round, they don't even make the playoffs, this core is done. Like, it's, it's the, you know, Marner is gone. You know, who knows what, what happens with Tavares? Like, uh, Riley's going to walk. Like, this like, – uh, the Leafs have not had even a modicum of success enough to earn the moniker of, you know, this is a last dance season. But this is, when it comes to this core, this is their last shot. And so when it comes to motivation, that should not, that should be the least of their problems because, you know, every single night you have to go out there and you have to, you have to earn back cheers from your fan base. Like I, you know, covering the game last night and you know, look it was it, you know there will, there will never not be you know fans in the seats but it is normally it is quieter than it is in normal years and i think it's because a you know some people are a little more worried uh, you know when it comes to covid and it's sort of an easy easing back into you know full buildings but also uh i think these i think the players need to earn back these cheers and so when it comes to yeah like when it comes to motivation that should be uh, the least of their problems, the least of their concerns. There should be no, there should be no issues. And we need to, we need to finish the regular season the best way possible and establish the habits that will allow us to slay this dragon and make it at least past the first round. Because if we don't, there's, there's literally no tomorrow there. This, this team as it's constructed will be blown up and most of the core pieces will probably be gone, be gone away. Um, At least that'd be the prudent move. So yeah, motivation should not be an issue for them. 
I think it's going to be interesting, too. Hopefully we don't see another situation. And listen, all, all due respect to Alexander uh, Bishop, you know, who was signed as the backup mm-hmm. uh, goaltender for last night because of salary cap constraints. There's so little wriggle room now for the Maple Leafs, not just in goaltending, but this is going to be an ongoing situation. So that bottom six really need to produce. What's our expectations? What should our expectations be uh, for for Michael uh, Bunting? Sheldon Keefe really likes the jam he brings to the game, and he gets a goal last night. What do you think of him, Mike? I think he's a great. I think he's a great contributor. I think like he he's he's a very humble guy. Obviously, he, you know he's a fan favorite immediately. I think for for good reason. Uh, he you know he draws an insane amount of penalties. Players hate to play against him. He is always competing, regardless of what of. of you know, of, of what position he's in, whether he's scoring or not. That's a big thing because I think a lot of players on the Leafs, if the puck's not going in the net for them, I think they they sort of lose themselves a bit. And Bunting, you know, if, if the puck's not going in the net for him, and thankfully it did last night, but if the puck's not going in the net for him, he's still going to compete. He's still going to grind. He's still going to skate to every single puck and never give up on a play. And I think that's a very important that's that. That's a very, very important trait to have on a team like the Leafs. You know, who I, I don't want to say the work ethic's being in question, but they, but you know, they 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 have demons. And I think a guy like Michael Bunting, you know, who's, who's a carefree guy, is going to come in. He's going to work really hard. He, you know, he's he's you know a physical specimen. I think that's extremely important. He's getting along with everyone in terms of like actual production expectations. Maybe we should tamper them a little bit because the guys played 25 career or 29 career NHL games to this point. 26 when you when you take away the three he's played for the Leafs this year. You know he's he's not a regular uh, he's not a regular contributor by any means in the NHL yet. And I'm pretty sure Rasmus Sandin has played more NHL games than this guy. But he's looked really good so far. The Leafs have him as a as an RF they have his RFA right to the end of the year. So it's not like a situation where you know. He puts up, let's say, he bangs in, you know, twelve, fifteen, maybe even you know, in a good year, twenty goals, and then uh, he he can find a, a bigger paycheck elsewhere. They have control over him. He's he's a guy the fans should should be latching onto. Um, but in terms of like, are, should people be expecting a twenty goal from? Should people even be expecting him to like replace Zach Hyman? Because that's a lot of the the comparisons he's been getting, and and you know, well warranted. He, he plays a very similar game. It's just that Zach Hyman does these things uh, somewhat, you know, a lot better. So. I think people should temper their expectations with that, but also like fully embrace this guy. He's probably going to be here for as long as uh, you know he, as long as after he wants or the Leafs are able to keep him here. And he's fit in splendidly so far. He's been one of their best forwards. Guys making 900 grand and has completely you know given a, a revamp to their third line. I think he's he's a he's a great addition to the team. Will be interesting. Good Scarborough boy as well as we started the discussion with Rangers and Leafs on Monday. Sheldon Keefe confirming Austin Matthews will be in the lineup uh, tomorrow night. Good news for the Maple Leafs, and they could certainly use it. Mike Stevens, writer for the Hockey News Coast of the Staff and Graph Podcast, joining us here on Sportsnet today. Always fun to chat, Mike. Stay well. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Take care. That's Mike Stevens, a writer from the Hockey News and the uh, Staff and Graph podcast. A pedestrian win last night, but a good one for the Maple Leafs, an important one. And they're all important. That's the way you've got to treat them. And I know fans and a lot of media sit back and look at this season as, ah, call me when you get to the playoffs. This Maple Leaf team is going to have to first make the playoffs and continue to pick up points. It's not going to be easy. And lots of games. And yes, last season was truncated. Truncated with a shorter number of games. This year, back to 82. We'll see what they bring. Uh, 
for the other 79 to go. Victoria Matiash from ESPN.com joins us to uh, talk some NHL in just a few moments here on Sportsnet Today. And your comments, always welcome on Sportsnet Today on Twitter at the Raj 590 by text 590-590. And you can also email roger at sportsnet590.ca. Quick check of the NFL games in prog- uh, progress. Five minutes to go in the first quarter. Chiefs up on Washington, 7 to nothing. Giants lead the Rams, 3 nothing at MetLife Stadium, Six minutes to go there in the first quarter. Texans and Colts are scoreless. Bengals and Lions underway, and the Bengals have a 7-0 lead at Ford Field. Six minutes to go in that one. Bears up on top of the Packers, 7-0 in Chicago. And that was uh, Herbert's first career rushing touchdown in that one. Sandy, uh, pardon me, the Chargers and the Ravens are scoreless. Six to go in that one. And the Panthers just uh, taking a 6-3 lead on the Vikings. We'll keep you up to date on that. Lots of comments on text about who you're cheering for in the baseball playoffs. Daryl in Toronto says Atlanta because of Alex. Daryl, thank you. There isn't any doubt Alex Anthopoulos still has a ton of fans in Toronto. And by the way, rightfully so. Rightfully so. So, well, good of you to bring him up, uh, Daryl. Ian in Niagara says the Dodgers have a massive payroll. Kershaw has his ring. Houston, I won't forget them. Boston, I just hate them. <laughs> so I'll cheer for Atlanta by default. Ian, thank you. Uh, thank you for your comment. Atlanta is the choice on Twitter by far at 52.4%. Is it Alex? Is it the Canadian content? Who are you cheering for the rest of the way? We'll update your comments as well. We'll get comments in a moment from Victoria Matiash on the rest of the NHL as the NHL season is nicely underway as Sportsnet Today continues. I'm Roger Lajoie, and this is Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Sportsnet 590, The Fan. It's another tequila. Sportsnet today, Sportsnet 590, the fan, Roger Lajoie with you here until 4 p.m. Great to be with you. We've got the National League Championship Series coming up tonight right here on Sportsnet 590, the fan, and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Stick around for that. Stick around the rest of our show, if you would, please. Stephen Lung on the NBA coming up later in the hour, and in particular the Raptors as they get ready with for their season opener just days away. Danny Vietti on the ALCS and the NLCS. But let's keep the hockey talk going right now with Victoria Matiash, NHL writer for ESPN.com. Victoria, always great to have you on the show. Thanks for being with us. And, hey, let's start with the first Saturday night in the books in the NHL last night. We already discussed the Leafs on the show, Victoria. But the Edmonton Oilers win the debut battle of Alberta. Connor McDavid has a hat trick. 2 0 to start the year. Victoria, is this finally the year the Edmonton <laughs> Oilers are ready for their breakthrough? Is two games enough to say, yes, everything's going to be just fine now? I made a wager with myself before coming on the air with you, Roger. And I bet myself that the Oilers would be our first talking point. So now I have to pay myself because I had a congratulations. It's a catch twenty two, though, Victoria. Who gets the money? I mean, come on. (laughs) I think you come out even at the end of the day. But uh, no, I knew it. It was either going to be Pittsburgh or the Oilers. I couldn't. I couldn't get my head around it. Yes, they look up. I'm one note of complaint first about NHL scheduling in general. Get to the Oilers. 
could we have a fewer games on Saturday and maybe a few more on the Sunday? I mean, 14 games is so hard to get wrap your head around in one singular evening. And then today we have one. And no disrespect to Dallas and Ottawa, but a few more games would have been nice to pepper throughout the NFL Sunday as well. Anyway, that's my one complaint. Moving on, it was a very exciting evening. The Oilers look good. Mike Smith looks good. I ruled him out. Last year, no, not that's not true. I didn't rule him out. I didn't expect him to play as well and to sustain the season that he sustained last year. And I know when we were on, I said he's going to run out of gas. He's going to run out of gas. And then now this, and he didn't. And now at the start of this season, he looks fresh as a daisy. He looks fantastic. And I am not going to say a word against Mike Smith for the rest of the season unless he actually does go down injured because he looks grand. And what about Puglia-Yarby? playing on that top line. I mean, we got a taste of it last season, but he just looks all the more determined. And, of course, playing with the best player in the world. The hat trick, it's a bit of a cheap hat trick since one of them was an empty netter, but still a hat trick nonetheless. McDavid looks McDavid. Puglia-Yarby looks like that right fit on the right side. Thank goodness, displacing Zach Cashin once and for all. That needed to be done. And the Oilers look strong, and they look good on defense as well. I know it's only two games. I mean, some teams have played one. Some have played three. They've played two. It's only two games, but so far, so good. Yeah, I have to agree with you uh, on that one, Victoria. And listen, it's it's one of the things. The Oilers are like um, Washington, San Jose, so many teams that have just, you know, knocked on the door and had no playoff success and waiting for the chance to break through. And then all of a sudden they break through in a year maybe you're not expecting. I don't want to say people aren't expecting them to because when you have Connor McDavid, you're, you're always going to be a team people look at. But it seems like maybe the spotlight, I know, is always bright because they're a Canadian-based team, but maybe this year Victoria could be a year like it was for Washington you finally win when you you know uh, nobody around the rest of the NHL is paying as close attention to you do you get that feeling with them maybe maybe I also do one note that actually struck me in preseason as well when you're saying that maybe you're not expecting they're not that much different than they were before but there is one difference and a lot of fans knocked this move in the offseason but Mike Smith brought it up in preseason play that the addition of Duncan Keith to the back end is making all the difference in the world and I know Duncan Keith today is not the same Duncan Keith from 10-15 years ago and nobody expects him to be but the guy has won cups He knows how to do it. And having that winning mentality in the room, I think sometimes when you have all the other pieces in play, and I think they have more of the pieces in play than they have for a while, I think that can make them, that's pushing them just through the door, pushes them over the ledge a little bit. And so I think that's going to make a little bit of a difference as well. The defense looks stronger altogether. I think Bouchard just takes another step this this season. We've been waiting for that for a while. And yeah, I mean, in their division, for sure. We have the three California teams who aren't going, I don't expect them to go very far. Seattle is just getting their feet wet in the NHL. So really, honestly, other than the Oilers, I mean, I should say other than um, Vegas, the Oilers should be top. They should be cream of that division. Uh, agreed. We'll see if they can uh, finally live up to expectations. I wasn't going to do Pittsburgh second, but now I'm going to, since you said it was going to be either Oilers or Penguins, and really get you mad about the bet you made with yourself that I still don't really understand. But Pittsburgh, 2-0-1 with no Crosby and Malkin, is right. a story. How are they doing it? Well, Jari's been great, and Jeff Carter's been good enough. Uh, when you're pushing Jeff Carter again, talking about Duncan Keith and being, you know, not the same player as he were a few years ago. Jeff Carter is not the same player as he was a few years ago, but he's holding down the fort, the top center position, and I think that's making a big difference for them. Uh, Christian Jari's looked fantastic. 
it also, they've been on the road, which makes it a little bit even more impressive. I think it's been a lot of group effort as well. And they're, go- they're not going to be without Sidney Crosby for too long, so that's more good news. Malkin, yes, but not Crosby. But I think it's just been a great group effort, and they get to come home soon. And so far, 2-0-1, it's not a bad t- Without your two top players. Oh, also, Chris Letang. Chris Letang looks like Chris Letang of a few years ago. He is. He looks fantastic out there. And if he can have a season like he has recently – not when he was injured last little while, it, that's going to make a big difference for them as well. I don't have them making the playoffs. So I'm going to jump on. I think that pro- question was probably going to come up. I don't have them making the playoffs, but honestly, in the Met division, I don't know what's the Metro division. I don't know what's happening there. And it, they get their two healthy centers back, and Jari plays as best as he can. Who knows? They find a way, don't they? They are they are something else, even at this stage in a, 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 an aging team compared to the glory days of the Cups. Uh, they are, uh, once again, finding ways to win hockey games. You can't I'm rule them out. You, you can never, the... ever rule them out. Yeah. That's true. I absolutely agree with you, Raj. Uh, another team I find interesting, well, maybe I don't find them interesting because they're not very interesting to a lot of people, but the Minnesota Wild, uh, mm-hmm. I remember did a couple of NHL preseason previews and there were a couple of writers, broadcasters I talked to who were really high uh, on them this year. And first, before I want to get into the specifics about them, are you high on them or do you just see them as a team? You know, they're just sort of there. I, I, I respect how they're made up. I like how they look. I like how they're all coming together. I think the central is really tough. I don't know who to pick outside of Colorado, perhaps at the top. The rest of it, St. Louis, Chicago, Nashville, Winnipeg. I mean, outside, I've got Arizona at the bottom. I've got Colorado at the top. And then in the middle, it's just a mashup. I don't know how you decide who's going to move forward and who's not going to move forward in that division. I just think it's particularly tough. But they're very quiet. I think they're very well built. Cam Talbot, again, just look at the goaltending super they've got great depth with rask and fiala and marcus Foligno. these players that you don't even really think about that aren't necessarily on the top line with krill and matt's zuccarello they their defense is solid but not sexy they just have all the pieces in play and i think they're going to be a very tough team to beat now if they can emerge from that from that division i think that's a different conversation i think it's going to be very tough but i have a hard time picking who will emerge because i think chicago's going to take another step i know they've had a lousy start but i think they're going to take another step this season and it's just going to be a real log jam in there but i think minnesota's going to be very tough to beat I'm a big Cam Talbot fan. I, I, we'll, we'll see how he uh, uh, shapes up this year. And in front of the way that team plays, I think they might be dangerous. But we'll see. Victoria Mattias is with us from ESPN.com. I'm Roger Lajoie. Montreal Canadiens off to an 0-3 start. Exactly what the doctor did not order uh, for this team. And speaking of the doctor, injuries have been a factor. The price situation, right. of course, is, is a difficult one to deal with. And after that great run to the Stanley Cup final, I think a lot of people expected the Canadians to take some sort of a step back. But, boy, this 0-3 start shows probably, Victoria, how vulnerable this team really is right now. Um, I'm not going to read too much into it. Three games is three games. I, they do look shaky. They need to be better offensively. I thought they were much better offensively in the third period of last game, so I think that bodes well for the future. Allen needs to be a little bit better. He's got to be the guy. because We don't know how long Carey Price is going to be out for, and Carey Price needs to stay out for as long as he needs to stay out. This is just hockey. It doesn't matter nearly as much. So Jake Allen has to be the guy for as long as that 
situation is going to endure. One good sign coming up is they are getting Mike Hoffman back. He hasn't been around to start the season, and that's just an injection on offense, especially on the power play. I think that's going to change. I know it's only one player, but I think it changes the whole look of that. Not maybe even top nine. He might not even slide into the top six. I think he will right now because Montreal is struggling. But I'm not panicking. And if I was a Habs fan, I would not be panicking right now. I think Jonathan Duran looks fantastic. And so that's a good sign. And they played, uh, I mean, you don't want to have losses against San Jose and Detroit. But I didn't think they looked too bad against Carolina. So they just have to be better on offense. And Allen's got to be a little bit better. And the, and the, the D has, in front of him has to be a little bit better. But again, I mean, you don't want to start the season off with three losses. But we can't hit the panic button yet. Talk to me when it's seven losses or eight losses. And I don't think we're going to get to that point. Uh, we'll see. Uh, the Florida Panthers, another team. Right. We were talking about uh, teams trying to break through after being, you know, just in the middle and trying to get there. It seemed like Florida was a perennial ninth-seeded team in, in playoffs uh, for, for so many years. You look at them now, all the pieces in there, building on last season, and they've got to be happy, obviously, with a 2-0 and start. Same question, maybe, is Edmonton? Is it fair enough to put them in the same bracket? Is Hey, is it about time these guys did something with that young talent? I picked them on record at ESPN.com to go to the Stanley Cup final. So, yes, oh. I think so. I have them up against Colorado in the Stanley Cup final. I, think, I don't think they're missing anything right now. I know teams on paper don't win championships. We all know that. But right now, looking at them on paper, I think they picked up a few pieces. Bobrovsky now looks like the player, I mean, again, a couple games, but he looks like the player who's earning a paycheck. He looks good. And I think having Spencer Knight pushing him a little bit in net is going to make a huge difference this year. And if he does falter, Spencer Knight is going to be right there to come in and take over. And he's going to be, he's going to be a star in this league. I don't know necessarily this season, maybe next, but he's going to be there pushing, pushing, pushing. Having Joe Thornton just added that. I know that's what Toronto tried to do as well. I think Florida is going to enjoy more success there just because they're a more balanced team. They've got the firepower up front. Barkoff doesn't have to do all of it. That second line of Bennett, Huberdeau, and the young kid, Owen Tippett, they can carry so much of the weight. Defensively, they have Aaron Ekblad healthy, which they were missing last year. And I think that would have made a difference down the stretch run and through the playoffs as well. Having Aaron Ekblad was like heading towards Norris Trophy winning. And having lost him for the rest of the season, I think hurt them a, a lot. They're well, Joe Quenville, he knows how to win, obviously. They're not missing anything to me. So I, that's why I picked them to go to the Stanley Cup final. Who knows? That's asking a lot, but I think they do enjoy a great deal of success this year. And I'll tell you, if they don't make the conference finals, I will be mildly surprised. I think a lot of people will. I think people are wait, have been waiting for Florida the last couple of seasons, Victoria, and I think the time mm-hmm. is finally here, but we shall see. Uh, as we uh, keep saying, it is so early in the season, but a great start for them. Buffalo Sabres have won two games. That's good news <laughs> for them because they haven't done anything in the longest time. And the same old story with Jack Eichel. Avalanche were in there with the Sabres. The talks apparently stopped retaining the salary. Um, let's, let's go with Eichel first, uh, Victoria. I mean, is, is this just going to be a topic for all of this season. Do you see any chance of this getting resolved anytime soon? It has to, though, doesn't it? I mean, I hate the extra drama. I was so happy when Kachuk signed with Ottawa the other day because this, this, the whole Dallas 
howled out nonsense. And I want to see Phil Kessel get traded. I'd like to see Jack Eichel get traded so we can just get down to the business of not, no longer waiting for it and just enjoying the sport on our television sets and watching them play on the ice. I mean, how much longer can it go? But I, again, I don't know. It would be really awful if we're sitting and having this conversation in January. Buffalo Sabres, I, I know they have, they're off to a great start. They beat Arizona in a very shaky Montreal team. So let's not get too excited about that. And Dylan Cousins is the future center of that team. And that's great. He's still young. He needs more experience. They need more bodies in there. And moving Jack Eichel is going to bring them prospects or picks or probably some players. He's going to bring a little bit of a haul back. And that's going to make Buffalo, if not necessarily better this season, the next season. And the fans deserve that, to look forward to that because Kyle Oposo can't play like he's played these first two games all season long because Kyle Oposo has and played like that in years. We can't count on that. Anderson's been good. Tukarski's been good. But this team is going to start to get beat up pretty bad pretty soon. And the sooner that management, I understand they don't want to get ripped off. Of course not. But the sooner that management can make the right deal in moving Jack Eichel, the better it is going to be for everyone, including Jack Eichel, and including hockey fans. I want to see the guy play, right? Everyone wants to see him play. It, it is tiresome. It, it really is, and uh, one would hope it, it would get resolved. Do you have a, a level of optimism about the Sabres' direction, at least? Uh, so much of it is going to be shaped by what they get for Eichel, how this all goes out. And your point is very valid. Two wins to start the season against two shaky teams means nothing with this team. But I think Sabres fans are just clinging for some some hope. Do you see any for them anytime soon? Them. I mean, they have, they have talent. Victor Olofsson is the real deal. Dylan Cousins is the real deal. Casey Middlestat might become the real deal this season. So they do have some young talent. They have some players coming up through the system. Rasmus Stalin, I think, is going to be a very good defensive for years to come. I know he has his detractors, but I'm not one of them. They're... I want to see what they get back for Eichel first. And then they need to stick, like, this moving coaches all over the place and changing management and, you know, these gentlemen in and out. They need to settle on a plan and stick with it. And then maybe we can look forward. But I don't see on the horizon, not in the next two or three seasons. I'd be surprised if they get it together before then. But I wouldn't say that Sabres fans don't have anything to look forward to. Not at all. They have some, they have some good young talent, and that's something. There's a lot of good talent on the New York Islanders. They're another uh-huh. team that, you know, has just kind of not been able to have the, the major playoff breakthrough they want. But they have been, in the minds of some people, uh, a surprise of just how good they've been the last couple of regular seasons. Two games, again, small sample size, <laughs> got it. And the, the Hurricanes, uh, certainly, and, uh, and the Panthers are That's not right. an easy draw to start your season. But the Islanders give up 11 goals in two games. Is that a question of uh, their goaltender not being available? What do you think? Well, Sorokin isn't that bad either, though, just because they're not, they don't have Barlamov back yet. And apparently they're waiting for him to be 100% and hinting that he might be 98 or 97. I don't understand all of that. But he's, apparently he's not far off. But Sorokin is not a bad goaltender either. I think sometimes you just play bad hockey games. And they, I think they played a couple of bad hockey games because the way that the Islanders are built and the way that they're coached by Barry Trotz, giving up 11 goals over two games, evenly, by the way, is rather ridiculous. That's not who this team is by any extent of the imagination. You've got some new pieces in there. I mean, Zidane Char is kind of getting his feet under, under him after so many years with another team in Boston. 
I think they're just still figuring it out. Parisi, they're figuring it out. Andrews Lee missed a whole bunch of last season. They're coming back together again. Noah Dobson is basically learning how to play in the NHL. I know he had he had a taste of it last year, but he's now there full time, starting on the power play. They're going to come together, and we're going to laugh. But can you imagine if somebody had told you to start the season? I mean, a lot of my colleagues have picked them to go to the Stanley Cup final, and then giving up 11 goals in two games is rather ridiculous. I think they turn this around pretty quickly. And as you mentioned, Roger, against the Hurricanes and Panthers and Nuts, those are two very good teams. Still 11 goals, that's not how this team is built, and this, that's not how this team is going to continue performing, not at all. No, too good a team to be down for, for too long. Agreed there. Victoria, um, we had the situation here w- with the Leafs having to, you know, sign an amateur goaltender from the University of Toronto uh, to be a backup goaltender in their game yesterday. Fortunately, he did not have to play. No disrespect to him, but that's the way it is. And it's a result of, of the cap within the team and the cap within the NHL. You know, we're coming out of COVID, and, and no any team that runs into cap issues – we have to blame them to a certain extent, but we see a situation like this and we see, you know, nobody saw COVID coming in terms of, of what it was going to do to the economics of the game and freezing the cap and everything that's happened to the game. But boy, oh boy, this is still a real embarrassment for both them and the league, is it not? I think it's getting more attention because it's Toronto. This actually happens around the league fairly regularly and we just don't focus on it as much. There's paper moves made, and I understand it's a little bit more glaring because it's at the goaltender position, but teams have gone forward with, you know, just having six defensemen and nobody else available because of the same issues. I think the Toronto microscope just magnifies this all the more. But, no, you don't want to run into the situation at all. And now they're they're getting Michael Hutchinson back. So, I mean, we can stop sounding the the alarm bells. And it's good that it never came to anything yesterday. And thank goodness nothing happened to Jack Campbell because I just didn't – I know everybody enjoyed the circus against Carolina last time around. I didn't as much. It was a fun story for a minute. I don't want to see a university goalie who actually hasn't even played – this year is my understanding, the Bishop kid. I don't want to see that because I don't think you're going to see the heroics as we did with the Carolina um, in the Carolina game. And seeing some kid get peppered for eight goals is just not fun to me. So thank goodness we didn't go down that road. I'm not going to jump on lease management for mismanaging the cap because, as you mentioned, Roger, the, the COVID situation has, you know, we, we probably would have been dealing with a higher cap now without it. And the situation would have been a little bit different. It's one game. If this was a week, absolutely. Huge talking point. One game. They survived it. I think we can move on. All right. Finally, before we let you go, I'd like you to read on the Leafs, Victoria. We've talked a lot about the Leafs already today, but from where you sit, and never mind the 2-1 and one start, but this team's challenge is going to be like a lot of the teams we've already discussed, a team that is proven to be a regular season team that can win in a lot of seasons yet can't do it in the playoffs but you got to play 82 games obviously before you get to the postseason providing you do make the postseason you mentioned florida was a stanley cup finalist pick uh for you where do you put the leafs in this mix in which figures to be a much tougher division than the one they played in last year if you're only having four teams coming out of the Atlantic, who, who are you picking? Florida's one for me. Tampa Bay's one for me. Then you're having the conversation afterwards. Is it Boston and Toronto? Okay, that means no Montreal, right? I mean, yep. Ottawa and Detroit, I think we can probably figure, are not going to be oh, – sorry, Ottawa, Detroit, and Buffalo, probably not in the mix. It's And then you're battling up out uh, amongst the other five. So, yes, tentative yes. I do have them going ahead 
of Montreal, and I thought that before the shaky start by the Habs. I do have them going ahead. I don't know what happens after that. Again, the conference is tough. The division is tough. I think they are a little bit better this year with Kasha in particular. I know we're not spending a lot of time on him, but I think he just strengthens that bottom six. And Michael Bunting has turned out to be a nice surprise so far. They're 2-1 and one without their best player. And I think Austin, Austin Matthews is coming back for their next game, I believe. I, I saw that. I can't confirm that for sure, but I believe that he'll yeah, be he back. Is. Oh, yes, fantastic. Yeah. So that's great. Yeah. So that's great for the Maple Leafs as well. And Mrazek isn't going to be out forever. I know the groin issue is a thing, but he's not going to be out forever either. Jack Campbell continues to play the way that he is capable, and he looked great last night. He continues to play the way that he's capable. I don't see this team having any issue making the postseason. After that, this is a ridiculous answer, but I think they win a, they win around because they have to. There's no way they can't. And I know that's not the way the world works, and there's absolutely no logic to it at all. They have to win a playoff round, Roger. They have to. So I think they will, finally. Because I don't know if they're winning two, but I do think that they win one. You going to make a bet with yourself on that one, or are you just <laughs> going to sit that one out and play that? You know what? I probably could have come up with a better analogy for that. <laughs> Victoria Maddie is joining us from ESPN.com to look around the NHL. Victoria, it's always great to chat with you. Stay safe and well. Thanks so much. You as well, Roger. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Victoria Maddie joining us from ESPN. Always uh, fun to chat with her. Yes, the Leafs have to win a playoff series this year. Yes, they do. But they got to play 79 more regular season games first. And eh, mixed returns, 2-1, and one, start to the season. You'll take it. You move on to the next one. Rangers on Monday night, and the good news, Austin Matthews back in the lineup for the Maple Leafs Monday, confirmed by Sheldon Keefe earlier today. So their top player back in, and that certainly uh, should help. Your thoughts on the Leafs, on the baseball playoffs, whatever you'd like to weigh in on are welcome. You can reach the show on email, roger at sportsnet590.ca, text 590590, and on Twitter, at the Raj 590 and on Twitter, our poll is up. Jays fans, just Jays fans now, not general baseball fans. I always hear from Jays fans. Do you have a rooting interest? Who do you want to see win the World Series, given the way it all played out for the Jays, which certainly was not the way they wanted it to play out? The four teams left. Atlanta gets 56.3% of the vote. The defending World Series champion Dodgers at 26.8%. Boston at 10%. And Houston at 6.8%. I'm surprised the Red Sox are ahead of Houston. But you know, some fans will take solace if the Boston Red Sox actually do win the World Series. Because then you realize, see how close we were? And then other people say, see how close we were? (laughs) And they're mad. They can't cheer for them. I find the Red Sox story pretty amazing because I did not see the Boston Red Sox doing a thing uh, this year. And from a Jays perspective, depends, I guess, on where you sit and how much you can cheer for another team in your own division. But so far, it's Atlanta and Alex Anthopoulos and no big uh, surprise there. Bill in Toronto on the text line at 590-590. Text in. It says, can't root for the Braves with the highly objectionable chop. I mean, really? Sox and Strohs are still cheaters, so I'm less left with the Dodgers, the best team, the Jays. Bill in Toronto, thank you. No matter how you answer that poll today, if you're a Blue Jay fan, I think you're frustrated watching this, 
realizing how close the Jays were, and especially the last, what, month of the season, fair enough to say? Jays were as good as anybody. And you see these other teams playing, and Boston finding a way to win. Just the, the way the Red Sox finished the season, had to struggle so mightily just to beat Washington, while the Blue Jays were pounding the Orioles. End result, they get hot, they get some pitching, and they're winning ball games. And yesterday, two grand slams. We'll talk to Danny Vietti more about the uh, baseball playoffs uh, coming up shortly. Thanks for that, Bill. Ian in uh, Fergus says the Leafs, blah, 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 blah. The Leafs will just choke anyway. Your sales force will have a pooch of a time selling commercials for these overpaid losers. It will all end the same. No guts. As a longtime fan, I refuse to be led down the garden path again. Ian, thank you for those, I'm sure, painful as a Leaf fan comments you had to do. Look, you wait and you wait and you wait, and we see it with the Leafs. We see it with the Oilers. We've seen it with a lot of other teams. The expectations are there year after year after year. The regular seasons are good. The playoffs, team falters completely. They will live with that until they get it turned around. Ian, you're not the only Leaf fan that's kind of bailing on the team right now. I still look at that nucleus. I still look at that team. And that's a team, as Victoria just said, I expect them to win a playoff series because they have to. And they should have won one by now. And I know that's not much of a solace to longtime fans like yourself. We'll see. And uh, lots of hockey left to go in this regular season. Two hours left in the show. Still time to get your text in. Love reading them. 590-590-590. Email roger at sportsnet590.ca. On Twitter at the Raj 590 Vote in the poll. We'll read your tweets and your text and your emails throughout the course of the show. Raptors season opener is just days away. What do we expect from them? We'll talk about that in moments. It's Sportsnet Today. I'm Roger Lejoie on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. We are merely the vessel that gets you every single piece of sports information possible. This is Sportsnet Today Today on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Sportsnet today is Sportsnet 590. The fan, Roger Lujois, with you until 4 o'clock Eastern. We have Game 2 of the National League Championship Series between the Braves and the Dodgers tonight, 7.30 p.m. on Sportsnet 590. The fan, Max Scherzer, the Game 5 hero in the NLDS with the save, takes the mound for the Dodgers. Ian Anderson counters for the Braves, who got a 3-2 win in the opener of the series. They are your pick, and when I say your pick... Listeners of this show who have participated in our poll at the Raj 590 and at Fan 590. Jays fans, who are you cheering for? Who do you want to win the World Series? 56.7% of you say Atlanta. 27.1% say Los Angeles. And yeah, you can't cheer for teams that usually play against the Jays, can you? Boston at 9.5% and Houston at 6.2%. Nobody likes the Houston Astros either with all those Still, the cheating scandal, still uh, so close to heart. At the Raj 590 is where you find it. Text 590-590. Email roger at sportsnet590.ca. Later in this hour, Danny Vietti joins us. He's an MLB writer for CBS Sports. We'll talk to him about both the ALCS and the NLCS. And Joshua Cloak 
who is a, a Leaf writer and a Canadian soccer writer for The Athletic, joins the show after 3 o'clock. And the legendary Lee Hacksaw Hamilton talks some NFL with us. We'll update the NFL scores for you in a couple of minutes as well. But right now we're going to talk some NBA. and Nobody better to do that with than Stephen Lung. He's the NBA editor for Sportsnet. Stephen, thanks very much for being with us. And, well, just days away from the season opener, uh, Ishmael Wainwright uh, now uh, waived, team down to the minimum of 15 players. We see this roster on the cusp of the regular season. Stephen, how good a basketball team is this Raptor team right now? I think the Raptors are better than I think a lot of people think they are. But, um, you know, the reality is they are still kind of a team in transition, in in my opinion. You know, like like they're they're kind of, I think they're kind of to thread the needle right now, uh, being kind of a team that's, you know, trying to rebuild itself back to being a, a powerhouse in the Eastern Conference, right? But at the same time, we're also trying to keep that competitive window open, you know, obviously because they have guys like Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Vliet, OG Ananobi, you know, guys who whose uh, windows have already opened and they're probably looking looking to win some more here. So it's going to be an interesting balance to see if they can do it. Um, but, like, I think ultimately it will result in them being probably, you know, like a team that will be once again kind of fighting for, like, a play-in spot for, like, by the end of the season, you know, like like maybe like a 38-39 win team. Not to be negative about it, Stephen, and by the way, I do agree with that analysis, but is that not really the worst place to be for an NBA team? Maybe not for one season. For one season, it doesn't matter, and everything's in a work in progress. Like, you don't have to be a, a complete tank outfit like the Sixers were a couple of years ago. You don't have to be all in, all in, all in, like the Lakers throwing money at everything to, to get there. But if you're just going to be kind of in the middle, is that not a concern? And is it not better to either make moves to, to make yourself better now or take the step back and and see where it leaves you and do you think that philosophy is going to change based on how this te- team performs in say the first 20 30 games this season so um, i think i don't think the philosophy will change but i, I think the philosophy like, like is like, like they're not trying to tank like like they are going to try to win right it's just a matter it's just the fact that they have you know a lot of young pieces they have you know a lot of new faces and integration may be tougher than people think, right? But um, the way the roster is constructed right now, uh, I don't think it's going to be the same by by the time, you know, like the end of the season is rolling around, right? It's just because, you know, obviously uh, Goran Dragic is, is a member of the Toronto Raptors, but I would expect them to look to trade him around the trade deadline, you know, like, like to possibly get an asset back for him because it, it's like – we we saw kind of like when he first arrived, uh, even though he's a professional and he's saying all the right things right now, I don't think he necessarily wants to be in Toronto. It's not really doesn't make a lot of sense for where he is in this, this stage of his career. He wants to come go out to a contender to try to compete for a championship immediately. And the Raptors are you know like a few steps back from that right now. So I think that like they're going to be a team that ultimately will not be in the luxury tax. This season, um, they're going to and they're going to make moves, uh, you know, for next for basically next season. But to 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 the point that you're you're speaking of, you know, like uh, with them being in the middle, it's not necessarily horrible for the Raptors in, in this case, just because you know they they do have a young, exciting 
player in Scotty Barnes who they need to kind of work along. And uh, and I think, you know, like giving him a year of development, you know, like before they're really ready to, you know, like start winning again, uh, like like a one-year blip may not be the worst thing for, for a kid to, to, to help him, you know, develop that shot in particular. We'll get more to Barnes in a second, uh, Stephen, just to stay on that for a second. So I, I think the, the kind of hope is, regardless, let's say this team is middle of the pack, 39 to 43 wins, or or maybe even a little better, whatever the case may be. I think the hope is, though, that ne- never mind future drafts and depth and, and, and changing the style of play, but Siakam, Freddie, and OG. End of the day, I think most people think, all right, how much continued upside is there on those three players. Siakam, of course, burst onto the scene in the NBA championship in the NBA Finals uh, two seasons ago, got the big contract. Freddie getting another big deal, but everybody loves Freddie. OG is another player, but the three of them are still young enough that there could still be a significant upside, and that would be the reason for optimism moving forward, and other pieces surrounding them is still going to result in a championship uh, possibility for this team. Do you buy that with those three? Or are you of the the thought mindset of maybe they've gotten what they can from those guys? They're still great players, but you don't see that much future upside potential moving forward. That's the big three. How good are they, Stephen, and for how long? So um, I will kind of couch it. I'll couch this for just a little bit just because um, I I think, like, like what we see from Fred Van Vliet, you know, like, I, I think this is who Fred Van Vliet is, right? Like, he's he's obviously a very, very reliable, very solid, you know, like, borderline great point guard, right? And, and he, he is going – what you see is what you get, right? Pascal Siakam, um, I – I hope there's more there. I'm not entirely sure, and I'm particularly concerned about him coming off this, this shoulder surgery. I'm not sure what what he's going to look like coming off of that. But you know, like I, I hope with a little bit more maturity, um, you know, you know, with him, it sounds seems like he is much more enthusiastic, much more positive. I saw him just the other day in the gym. He was smile. He was all smiles. He he looks really good. So I hope that means that that we're going to see him reach another level, like maybe he's got a new bag, a new trick in his bag, you know, like a counter to that signature spin move or something like that. But the, the player who I think that we have definitely not seen the ceiling of yet is OG Ananobi, right? I think OG is still only 22 years old. Um, and every year he's kind of like kind of progressed with what he can do offensively, you know, like one season he added a little bit more of a handle. The other season he added, you know, like a much more consistent shot. But it has always came in just small flashes, you know, small sample sizes, you know, like three-game stretch, four-game stretch, right? I want to see if you can put the package together, uh, you know, like like over, like consistently, you know, like like, like over 10, 12, 13 games in a row that he's just looked great, you know? Because, like, Ananobi could be a real game-changer for the Raptors because obviously he's the team's best defender. And if he can lock down... The, team, the opposing team's best perimeter player, and then go out on the other other end and consistently get you like 20, 21, 22 points a night, you suddenly have a guy who's like a Ron Artest, you know, that changes completely changes the trajectory of what the Raptors can be. 
Agreed. And you're right about OG in terms of the age compared to the uh, uh, other two. And Siakam is is still a question mark. It's going to be an interesting season, no doubt, Stephen. Stephen Lung is with us, NBA editor uh, for Sportsnet. So looks like the focus is, you know, given where this team is, given the roster, they want to be more effective defensively compared to last year in particular, to be that kind of collective unit, some better, uh, bigger than its parts. Talk about that. Talk about what kind of team we're going to see and what style we're going to see this uh, season, uh, uh, Stephen, once the regular season opens. I think the team's going to be quite a fair bit of fun to watch, right? Because for one, they're they're going to bust their butt. Right? Like they are going to play really, really hard. And I think any team that plays really hard is enjoyable to watch. And there's as an added bonus of that, they're going to be competitive, and they they may win games that they may surprise you. Um, they're I think they're definitely going to hang their heads on uh, the defensive end. I mean, like look at their roster; they have a bunch of. You know, they basically have an entire group of guys who are like between six eight and six ten. Um, so that that means that they can basically switch everything on defense. They they can uh, cause a lot of uh, cause a lot of chaos. You know, like creating turnovers. They're going to get out in transition, and then you're probably going to see a lot of highlight plays just because you're going to see a, a lot of fast break opportunities from this team. So I think. In that sense, they're going to be quite enjoyable to watch. The concern with them will obviously be, like, what happens when they get into the half court. And also, you know, like, uh, as the season starts without Pascal here, who's going to be the go-to option, right? Like, who's going to be the guy that, like, when they need a bucket, like, early in the season here, that they can say, like, all right, we're going to give you the ball, get us something, right? Like that's going to be a little trickier because I think this is a team that's going to rely more on, you know, their offensive scheme and their system to score and generate scoring opportunities rather than, you know, like having the big dog go out and get them something, at least until Pascal returns. So they got some lottery luck. As a result, got a, a very good prospect in uh, Scotty Barnes, a high draft pick, already become a fan favorite. His personality is terrific. He's embraced Toronto. All of that is good. Uh, the playing style on the court is also going to make him uh, a fan favorite. But what should expectations be of a high first-round draft pick in a year like this, and in particular of Scotty Barnes, uh, Stephen? So I think the I think Scotty Barnes is going to be a talented player. I just think people are going to have to give him some time here, right? Like, like if you if people start to compare him to what some of the other top picks, you know, like a like a, I think of a guy like a Jalen Green or or a, a Mobley, Cunningham, Suggs, like like th- these guys are probably going to score more than he will, and they are probably going to put up gaudier looking numbers because one they're on worse teams than the raptors and two like scotty barnes num- like scotty barnes game is, isn't about like going out and and dropping 40 on you right scotty barnes game is like he's first and foremost like a he looks like an nba defender already which is amazing considering how young he is and he has incredible vision like credible playmaking instincts for a man of, of his size and length and, again, his, his age. So uh, the comparison that I, I, I draw up with him is kind of he's like, he's like a Draymond Green, except probably like, like maybe I just think he's a, he's a much nicer kid than, than probably Draymond Green is, right? 
but uh, but he's got he's kind of like that point forward, and I think that could actually tremendously help this Raptors offense because, like I said, they want to probably use the system and the scheme to generate scoring opportunities. If you suddenly have a trigger man, um, you know, like like sort of like a Marcus All, but like a trigger man in the front court who you can pass to, like off the short roll, he can then make quick decisions to get to get cutters to find guys in the corners, and also just still threaten you know like those those big dives to the basket where he goes up for for alley-oops or or big dunks or or layups or whatnot so don't expect him to be a great scorer i expect him to be you know like a a fine playmaker to start and also just like a rock solid defender now you already mentioned how difficult it's going to be to replace siakam scoring until siakam gets back and and that's no question about that but never mind scoring wise and never mind uh you know siakam being out of the lineup when he's back in the lineup let's talk about the bottom half of that roster and is there anybody a player two or even three steven on the bottom part of that raptors roster that you're expecting a kind of a breakthrough from this season so I, I, the name that immediately comes to mind is um, you know, like it's one of the two the, one of the two two way players, but uh, Justin Champagny, the uh, he's a kid from uh, Pitt, I I believe, but um, he's he's another guy who's like six seven six eight, but he is just like tenacious. He's like a dog on on the glass. He he plays way bigger than he actually is, and he seems to understand what his role is. I mean like. It, it, does, it just fits the big need that the Raptors had. Like last season, they were horrible on the defensive glass. And then if you suddenly have, have a guy who's six seven, is kind of versatile, can shoot the ball a, a little bit and, and do all the things the Raptors want, but can also particularly crash the glass really, really effectively, that opens up their running game so much. So I think Champagny is a, is a really interesting name kind of in the, in the lower, uh, lower parts of the roster. Obviously, uh, Yuta Watanabe, we saw what he did last season. He's coming off of the Olympics, where he was the number one option. He was the man, and I, I hope to see that you know, confidence that he built during the Olympics transition here to the Raptors, because what the Raptors really needed from him last season, I think, was for him to be much more confident and much more assertive shooting the basketball, because he has a pretty good shot. And, uh, and if he can shoot the ball... So all of a sudden they have, you know, like a pseudo three and D guy that they didn't think that they had before. So like those, those are probably two names. They're kind of near the lower reaches of the roster. But in terms of someone who I think could really assert themselves uh, here in the early goings of the season, I think of a guy like Gary Trent Jr. Um, because, you know, like he's one of the only guys on the team I can see who can really create his own shot, who you can pass the ball to in late clock situations and he can get you something like it's. I know it's kind of frustrating seeing him jack up like long twos and mid-range jimmies, but sometimes you need that kind of mentality, that that kind of skill set, particularly if the shot clock is running down and your half-court offense is stagnant. Yeah, I'm interested to see uh, Gary uh, Trent uh, Jr. Without question, it will be uh, it will be interesting. Finally, uh, Stephen, as we get ready, Washington, of course, uh, the first one here at uh, Scotiabank Arena, and we saw it with the Blue Jays in particular. We saw it to a certain extent with the Maple Leafs, but now the Raptors, and it's, it shows you how quickly things kind of get back. I don't want to say to normal, but but to a little bit more of the norm. Not a lot of people talking about the significance of this team being home in Toronto for a full season in front 
a full capacity crowd. It has, it's going to be close to 600 days before this team uh, <laughs> last had that opportunity. Surely that's got to count for something, especially expectations of how good this team can be this season. Yeah, I I think it'll it'll play an impact. Like um, I I was I was at the arena for like their kind of unofficial first game back since um, you know since February 2020, right? Like like the first preseason game, and that was only half capacity. And you could tell like like the crowd missed it. Like the crowd was into it, into it. It was a, it was a preseason game, you know, like literally completely meaningless. So and. For when the games start becoming real, and I, I expect that the the crowd we're going to see a bunch of sellouts once again for for the Raptors because the Raptors fans always always show up, and I think it'll be a big boost, particularly emotionally for for a lot of players. You know, like I think of a guy like Pascal Siakam who who kind of wears his heart on on his sleeve, and when he's down, you can tell, but when he's up, he feeds off energy from you know positive energy from people, and I think the fans will provide that for him. I think that can only help benefit the Raptors because if Pascal Siakam is in a good mood and he's going good, that usually means the Toronto Raptors will be going good. Well, we saw what the hometown fans did for the Toronto Blue Jays without question. I think we'll see the similar uh, situation with the Raptors. Wednesday against Washington, regular season opens up. Stephen Lung's great work is at sportsnet.ca. Our NBA editor joining us here on Sportsnet today. Always fun to chat, Stephen. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Stephen Lung joining us. I'm Roger Lejoie. There is no question that the COVID situation played havoc with every pro and amateur, for that matter, sports team in North America. And this sounds like an excuse for Toronto teams, but it's not. What Toronto teams, Jays, Leafs, Raptors, and especially Jays, had to put up with, and now with an opportunity to be home, it does count for something. I think it's going to be, I think the Raptors are going to win a lot more than 39 games. However, we shall see. And that's the consensus around the NBA, that 39 to 43 game range, maybe a bottom tier playoff team. I think they're better than that, but uh, we shall see. Let's get a look at the NFL games in week six. Get you updated on the scoreboard. Two minutes to go the half. Chiefs lead Washington 10 to six. Kansas City is out of the gate sluggish. Really sluggish, actually. And that's a game they've got to win in Washington today. They're up 10-6, two minutes to go in the uh, half. Rams, no sluggishness there, beating the Giants 20-3 at MetLife Stadium, 3.36 to go in uh, until halftime there. Colts up on top of the Texans, 10-3. Bengals lead the Lions 7-0, dying seconds of the first half at Ford Field. Packers now on top of the Bears, 10-7 in Chicago. Late, all these games late in the first half. Ravens up on the Chargers, 17-6. Bell with a rushing touchdown there uh, for uh, Baltimore. And the Vikings on top of the Panthers, 12-10. And that one with three minutes to go until halftime. We'll keep you updated throughout the course of the afternoon. Cardinals and Browns, uh, four, uh, 405 start. Raiders and Broncos and Cowboys and Patriots get the 425 kickoffs. Sunday nighter, Seahawks and Steelers. That should be a good one. And Monday night, the Bills back in action against the Titans. We'll have more NFL talk coming up on the show with the great Hacksaw right around 3.30-ish.
uh, today, and always great uh, to talk to him. Joshua Cloak in our 3 o'clock hour as well, Leafs and Canadian soccer writer for The Athletic. Coming up, more baseball talk, though, with Danny Vietti. And before we get to him, let's update our poll on Twitter, at the Raj 590 If you're a Blue Jay fan, who are you cheering for? 55.3% of you like Atlanta, probably Alex Anthopoulos, Canadians in the lineup for the Braves, Canadian Connection, and they're in the National League. 28.6% of you voted for the L.A. Dodgers, 10.1% for Boston, 6% for Houston. We'll continue to update the poll, read your comments on Twitter, and the text line as well at 590-590. Eugene in Woodbridge text in, I was at the Leaf game last night, and I can't believe how much Marner and Tavares are making and not playing well at all. I can't justify their salary with their performances. Eugene, thank you. It's a fair point. The expectation... On the top four. Look, what is the constant, constant topic with the Maple Leafs is they locked up so much money in their top four players, it's handicapped them against the cap, and that's why they're in the situation they were last night, bringing a guy in from the U of T to be the backup goaltender. Got it. Ticket. Doesn't, no matter your opinion, it's a fact. It's not an opinion. It's a fact. And because of that, Marner and Tavares, I don't think have been awful. I wouldn't go as far as Eugene goes in his comment, but one assist in three games for both of them. Thank goodness the least bottom six forwards are scoring. Pressure on them to produce this year will be even higher than it's been in past years. So up against the cap this team is. There will be no relief coming uh, from elsewhere. So we shall see. And Eugene, you're not the only Leaf fan uh, who feels that way. Carl emails in. Roger at Sportsnet590.ca. Much more optimistic. Says, Roger, it's early in the year. I'm glad the Leafs are 2-1. and one. Look, end of the day, it's got to be hard for these guys to stay motivated for all 82 games. We know they can win in the regular season. We don't know if they can win in the playoffs. But as you mentioned earlier, have to make the playoffs first. Can't see them not. There are too many weak teams in the division. I don't like Montreal. I don't like Ottawa. I don't like Detroit. I don't like Buffalo. So there you go. There's a playoff spot. If this team wants it, I believe they do. They're going to be just fine. We have to wait for the playoffs. I'm a diehard Leaf fan. I heard you reading some text earlier from other fans who are giving up on this team. Not me, Raj. Never. Go Leafs, go. Thank you, sir, for the email. Your thoughts on the Leafs, on MLB, NFL, anything. Welcome. Text 590-590, name and location, on Twitter at the Raj 590 or email roger at sportsnet590.ca. Game two of the NLCS between the Braves and the Dodgers goes tonight at 7.30 on Sportsnet 590. The fan, Danny Vietti, MLB writer for CBS Sports, joins the show to talk about it in moments. I'm Roger Lajoie, Sportsnet Today on Sportsnet 590. The fan. Sports. Sportsnet 590. The fan. Sportsnet today, Sportsnet 590, the fan, Roger Lajoie with you until 4 o'clock. Great to be with you. Wherever you are listening to, thank you for logging in and following us on Twitter at the Raj 590 and Fan 590, texting 590 590, emailing Roger at sportsnet590.ca. Great reaction from you all on 
our topics of the day. Jays fans, who are you cheering for in the baseball playoff? Leaf fans still have faith in this team. Two and one start to uh, start the season. Those topics up for grabs. Joshua Cloak uh, will join us in our three o'clock hour. Lee Hacksaw Hamilton NFL Talk will update the NFL scores again throughout this hour for you. But right now, Danny Vietti joins us, MLB writer for CBS Sports, as the MLB postseason gets into high, high gear. Game two of the NLCS tonight between the Braves and the Dodgers. Tonight, 7.30 on Sportsnet 590. The fan, Danny, thanks very much for being with us. Let's start with the Braves and the Dodgers. Braves get a 3-2 win. Are we not maybe giving the Braves enough credit, Danny? I mean, the Dodgers and Giants, 107 wins versus 106. A classic showdown. Everyone looked at that as, hey, that's probably a a World Series in and of itself, and it certainly lived up to that billing. But the Braves have kind of gone about their business in a more pedestrian way and now have a leg up in the first game of the NLCS. Your thoughts on them? Yeah, we do this every year, don't we, when it comes to the Dodgers. They're always the powerhouse. They're always the favorites. And every time the Dodgers come into any series, we're like, oh, it's the Dodgers series to lose. And, you know, there's always that underdog on the other side. But the Braves, I think it's funny, too, because in this day and age where we have so much recency bias, for some reason we're not given any recency bias to the Braves, really. The Braves have had one of the best records in Major League Baseball since the All-Star break. The Braves, the real question coming in with the Braves, at least as the season was going on, was their bullpen. Their bullpen has the third-best ERA in baseball since that All-Star break. Will Smith has found his way as a closer. Uh They've really just found a way. I think Alex Anthopoulos, really, the, the job that he did midway through the season completely restructured his outfield. The fact that they lost their superstar, Ronald Acuna Jr., they lost their starting ace, Mike Soroka. They lost two-time uh, all-star Marcelo Zuna due to the suspension of domestic violence. Those are your three cornerstone pieces right there of your team, and he has been able to restructure his team. And I, I think, to your point, I don't think we're giving them enough credit because guys like Austin Riley are coming up huge. They're infield, Ozzie Albies, uh, Freddie Freeman, Dansby Swanson. They have one of the best infields in baseball, if not the best baseball uh, infield in baseball, excuse me. So I, I completely agree with you. We're not giving them quite enough credit. And I think in this day and age where we rely on recency bias, it's kind of funny how we're not giving any recency bias to the Braves because they truly have been one of the best teams in baseball since that all-star break. Well, it's a great point, Danny, and we talk about the All-Star break ad nauseum leading into the All-Star break and the importance of teams that see themselves as contenders to take that next step. Alex Anthopoulos did that, went all in, and seeing the, the results of it now, and they are a very different team than they were uh, at uh, prior to that. The Dodgers are a different team because, well, they don't have Kershaw. They've got some significant uh, injuries, but end of the day, they found a way to get through the Giants. What about them, Danny? We take them for granted. Defending World Series champions, so now the other side of it is the regency bias, if we take the, re- if, if we take the last year and a half, in fact, let's take the last seven years, the Dodgers have the best lineup, the deepest team, the highest payroll, and the best team in baseball. Certainly being down one nothing in a series is no reason for them to panic, but do, do you see that maybe loss of Kershaw, uh, maybe uh, end of the day that this team is a little bit more vulnerable than it was last year? Uh, it's tough to say. I mean, we have yet to obviously see this squad in a best of seven series. Obviously, that first round with the Giants was a best of five, but they just have so much depth. 
not only in that bullpen, but that starting rotation. I mean, they went game one. They decided to start Corey Knable similarly that they are similar to what they did game five against the Giants. They have so many different ways that they can match up with a team. And going Max Scherzer game two tonight against Ian Anderson. If Max Scherzer doesn't get the job done, oh, they got Walker Bueller behind them. Oh, if Walker Bueller doesn't get the job done, they have a guy named Julio Urias who led Major League Baseball with 20 victories this year. They just have so much depth, and they have a luxury that not a lot of teams have. And I'm glad you brought up this question because we were kind of having a conversation on uh, the last podcast I was on, and uh, we were talking about where baseball is going. And I was making the case that teams like the Oakland A's and even the Tampa Bay's to a degree. I know the Tampa Bay Rays obviously won 100 games this year, but the Tampa Bay Rays have yet to hoist that World Series trophy. We have yet to see a team that is so ultimately dependent on analytics. We have yet to see a team like that hoist a trophy. However, we have seen teams like the Dodgers that rely both on analytics and they spend money. We have seen teams like that hoist a trophy. So that's what the Dodgers do. They have analytically dependent scouts. Uh, they get guys like Max Muncy, and then they also combine those guys with your top superstars, your Trey Turners, your Corey Seegers, your top stars of the game. They get guys like Max Scherzer at the deadline. They have both of those com- components. So in order to win a World Series, I think you have to have both of those components. You have to be analytically driven, but you can't be only analytically driven. You have to be able to spend money, too. That's what Andrew Friedman do- does in that Dodgers front office. Well, and he's done a great job. They have been the industry standard, for, as I said, for seven, eight years now and, and still are and are going to be a tough out for sure. So how much do you expect and how deep do you expect Max Scherzer to pitch into the game? Uh, Danny, we, we've seen, especially the last couple of postseasons, this is all about getting to the bullpen as soon as possible. But this is Max Scherzer. However, he's coming off a 13-pitch save uh, in the uh, to, to close out the National League Division Series. Even in this analytics-driven era, is Scherzer one of those guys that's going to get more rope than just about anybody else? Yeah, I think that's what makes Max Scherzer so special in today's age is that in this world of analytics and starting pitchers with short leashes and Johnny Holstaff bullpen games, Max Scherzer is that one guy. He's kind of a a unique entity, if you will. He's a unique asset in that I think his leash is just a bit longer than everybody else's. And to his own credit, he kind of fights his way. If he's rolling through six, he's going to go right up the manager, Dave Roberts, is saying, I'm good for seven, I'm good for eight. Um, I would expect to see the same, especially in a best-of-seven series. You're going to need a little bit more length from your starters. I think they were perfectly set up in that best-of-five series against San Francisco with the depth that they possessed. They were able to do that bullpen game. But in a game like today where they did do a bullpen game in game one, they're going to need a little bit more length out of Max Scherzer here in game two because they will have a little bit more fatigue in that bullpen. That said, they have so much depth, so much depth within that rotation, within that bullpen. Um, you know, I would expect nothing less from Max Scherzer than to go deep in this ball game. He was phenomenal in, uh, against San Francisco in his one start, and then he came out of that bullpen and was lights out, too, to, uh, to advance the next round. So that's Max Scherzer. He's going to fight for every inning he gets. I'm sure the Braves are confident in Ian Anderson because he has certainly been good in, in the postseason in four of his five career uh, playoff starts. He's had scoreless performances and 17 and two-thirds consecutive scoreless innings before he gave up playoff runs in Game 7 of last year's NLCS against the Dodgers. What about him and Atlanta's bullpen as it shapes, uh, uh, shapes up heading into Game 2? 
Yeah, it's really his changeup. That's the difference maker for Ian Anderson. And he already has postseason experience, too. A lot of people look at Atlanta, and then they compare them to Los Angeles. And they look at, like I mentioned, the guys already, Urias, Scherzer, the guys on the Dodgers side, and you think, well, they have so much postseason experience. Atlanta does, too. Okay, they were right back in the NLCS just one year ago. Max Fried, Ian Anderson. I mean, these guys have postseason experience. Charlie Morton. Charlie Morton has loads of postseason experience between Tampa Bay, won a World Series in Houston. So I think back to kind of your earlier point, and a lot of us are sleeping on the Braves. That's another uh, component that the Braves possess that not a lot of people are looking at. But they have a lot of postseason experience. Ian Anderson was very good last year in the postseason for Atlanta, and he has more experience coming into this season. Opponents are batting around that Mendoza line um, against his changeup this year. That's really his bread and butter. When his changeup's working and he's going top to bottom, left to right around the zone, he's really tough to hit. He's kind of an under-the-radar pitcher, as a lot of the Atlanta Braves pitchers are, especially in that bullpen. So Ian Anderson's been great in his young career, and it's going to be a great pitching matchup between him and Scherzer tonight. Yeah, I agree. Anderson, especially underrated. I like him a lot. Danny Vietti with this MLB writer for CBS Sports. He's the co-host of the Wake and Rake podcast as well. I'm Roger Lajoie. MLB postseason again tonight, 730. Sportsnet 590, the fan, the Braves and the Dodgers. Pre-game starts at uh, 7 o'clock. Max Scherzer against Ian Anderson. Boston Red Sox got the bats going big time. Two grand slams as they tie the series up 1-1. I, I'm, I'm never a believer in, in momentum in baseball, Danny momentum I, I go with the cliche momentum begins and ends with the next day's starting pitcher but it's hard not to look at the Red Sox and the way they're thriving in this underdog role and the fact that they've been on a they've they've had a lot of momentum since they struggled to finish off the Washington Nationals in that three-game series they struggled but they did it and it seemed to give them a sense of invincibility I mean they went they beat the Yankees it's it's hard to argue on what they've done yeah, no, there's a lot of questions going into game one of that ALCS with Chris Sale being that starter for game one. And Alex Gore had some questions being raised, and obviously Houston ended up taking game one. Boston ended up taking game two. I think if you think about it in your, from Boston's standpoint, you're thinking you get a split in Houston, I think you're happy to go back to Fenway with that. Um, Houston's a really, really tough place to play, especially in the postseason. When that roof is closed, that place gets awfully loud. It's one of the loudest stadiums in baseball. So to come away with a split, I think that's a victory for Boston. And with Nathan Evaldi last night, he was phenomenal through the first four innings, or at least mostly through those first four innings. He had a little bit of a hiccup here and there, but he's just a dog on the mound. And I think that was kind of my answer, and a lot of people were questioning me, why is Alex Cora going with Chris Sale game one, Nathan Evaldi game two? I said, I said this, if you happen to lose game one, which they did, and that's Boston, you have your guy, Nathan Eovaldi, going game two. If for some reason you're not able to get through um, game one with a victory with Eovaldi on the hill or whatever happens, and then you go game two and Chris Sale's on the hill, you just don't have as much confidence. Whenever Eovaldi takes that bump, Boston, you can see it in the faces of the players. They're confident. And Fenway is going to be rocking, absolutely rocking. They have yet to announce their starter for Game 3. The Astros are going with Jose Urquidy, who has been a very, had a very strong season again. Um, it, it, you know, It's going to be loud. Fenway, it's going to be – it's already been a fun series this far. There's some tension heating up, too. I mean, you saw the couple grand slams. Kike Hernandez is not human. Right now, Carlos Correa is hot. 
So this is going to be a fun series, too. I, I don't think we could have gotten two better matches in ALCS and NLCS. It's been fun so far. Sure has. Uh, well, let's talk a little bit more about Hernandez. This is ridiculous. I mean, 16 hits, five homers, four doubles. You you, you talk about a, a an off-season pickup that makes a difference for a team and thriving in the in the postseason. It's always Danny. There's always a guy that really shines through. And I, I mean, Hernandez is a good hitter. Don't get me wrong, but surprises us at the depth of his postseason prowess. And it's got to be Kiki right now. He is just as you are said. He's on fire. He's seeing beach balls up there at the plate. It's phenomenal. And it's funny, we were talking about the Dodgers earlier on this call, obviously. Well, the Dodgers are back in the NLCS. The Atlanta Braves had some help from a guy named Jock Peterson in that NLCS who was clutch. And then Kike Hernandez with Boston is taking the league by storm right now. Those are two former Dodgers right now. So the Dodgers, there's a lot of either former Dodgers or current Dodgers having a good time right now and that's kind of credit to Andrew Friedman and his ability to acquire talent look at talent and unfortunately he was not able to retain those two assets but regardless Dodgers are having a good time and former Dodgers too. Kike Hernandez what he's doing it really reminds me of guys like Cody Ross for the San Francisco Giants back in early 2010s Uh, guys like Daniel Murphy even Randy Rosarena last year this is what makes postseason baseball so special is time and time again you get guys that were picked up as waiver wire guys, guys that were picked up under the radar. You really don't think much at the time of the acquisition. And that's not to say that Kiki Hernandez is not a phenomenal baseball player. He was a really good offseason signing for Heim Bloom. But what he's doing now, I mean, he's all of a sudden an MVP-type player right now. I mean, what he's doing is not only with the bat, too. He's been great out in center field, too. His throw... Uh, I believe it was in game two, uh, either game two or game one. I'm drawing a blank on which game it was. But he had a throw from center field to home plate. I believe it was Altuve who was scoring from third base. Well, it was, you know, the throw didn't end up mattering um, because the run ended up scoring. But that throw, the miles per hour from Kiki's arm to home plate was clocked at over 98 miles per hour. It was the hardest ball thrown from a center fielder to home plate in two years. That was uh, shared out by Sarah Langs, credit to her. But uh, he's not only doing it at this, but he's doing it in the outfield, too. So Kiki Hernandez is not from this planet right now. And in the postseason, that's all you need. One guy to get hot. You need a Cody Ross, a Daniel Murphy, a Randy Rosarena. And Kiki Hernandez is providing that right now. He certainly is. So, you know, you can imagine the angst here, Danny, of, of Blue Jay fans, because we, we were talking about, you know, recency uh, bias and everything else. If you look at the last, I don't know, 30 games of the regular season, uh, a lot of Toronto fans thought the Blue Jays were as good as anybody in baseball. And likely they were. Their record certainly indicates that they were they were right near uh, the top. They didn't quite make it. And a lot of people would have suggested, well, you know what? The Boston Red Sox are the fourth best team, not only in the American League, but in that division, <laughs> when you look at the Yankees, they did beat them in the wild card game. When you look at the Blue Jays, you look at Tampa Bay. Can you point, and we've talked about Hernandez, I get it, but can, can you put a finger on it, how a team like Boston can barely qualify for the postseason and then get to the postseason and not look like the same team? I know it happens all the time. The playoffs are a, a new season. It's an old cliche, and we talk about it all the time. But this year's Red Sox performing at the level they are now, I mean, Danny, I'm going to be stunned if the Boston Red Sox are playing in the World 
several series. And after watching the first two games of the series against Houston, there's a pretty good chance I think that can happen, especially with the series going back to Fenway. How do you read the Red Sox? It happens time and time again, right? Every year there's that one. I mean, the 2019 National, there were like 10 games under 500 in, in uh, I believe it was June. And then they ended up winning the World Series as a wild card team. I mentioned Cody Ross earlier. San Francisco Giants, 2010, 2012, 2014. We see so often the best team that season, at least regular season-wise, they're not always the ones ending up on top. And I just think that's what makes baseball so great. Because when you compare it to other sports, I mean, college football, for example, every year, it's this year's a little different with Clemson not being so great. But every year it seems like it's Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, and Notre Dame. And those year four, and they beat up on one another, and normally it's Alabama ending up on top. Well, this year, it, it, for or when you compare it to baseball, it's ever-changing. I mean, the Yankees are obviously your powerhouse, your 27-time world champions, but I think a lot, a lot of criticism goes to Major League Baseball because of the lack of a salary floor or a salary cap. What we're seeing over time, there's a lot of teams in it every year, different teams in this postseason every single year. Um, it's ever-changing. We have really yet to see a true dynasty in Major League Baseball. You could make the case for San Francisco um, in the early 2010s. You can obviously with the New York Yankees back in the 90s, but, I mean, it's been decades since we talked about a dynasty in Major League Baseball. And I think that's a good thing because you're seeing polarity across the league. Um, you're seeing uh, a lot of competitiveness. You're seeing a lot of teams competing uh, uh, different teams year in and year out. Uh, the AL East is really, really tough. I think Toronto, just to kind of feed into your audience here, Toronto's in a really good spot. I know a lot of people were disappointed with how they finished, but Toronto, I think they're – ahead of their time right now and they're going to have some uh, even more money to spend in this free agency i really hope they're able to retain robbie ray but that american league East, it's going to be tough for years to come it's always the case indeed and and we're seeing it the red sox survive they're tied with houston 1-1 atlanta and the dodgers game two tonight goes at 7:30 p.m we have it starting with the pregame at seven o'clock right here on sportsnet 590 the fan max scherzer against ian anderson danny vietti mlb writer for cbs sports the host of the wake and rake podcast as well uh, joining us here on the fan danny it's always great to chat with you thanks so much enjoy the rest of the playoffs Always a pleasure, Roger. Thank you. Thank you. Danny Vietti joining us from CBS Sports. Always great stuff from him. I'm stunned by the Red Sox. And I know we've seen it so many times over the years. Danny mentioning it. Teams come from nowhere. We get it. Playoffs, whole new season. This year's Red Sox doing it. My goodness. Watching that Washington series, I, I, I was convinced. Lucky. Hate to say lucky, but lucky. Now they're good. You got to be good to be lucky, right? The old cliche. Well, that's the case with the Red Sox. They're good now, and they are playing some great baseball. They head back to Fenway. That series tied at one. They've got a puncher's chance of moving on even further. We shall see. How would you feel about that, Blue Jay fans? How would you feel if the the Boston Red Sox won the World Series? That's the question on Twitter at the Raj 590 at the Raj 590 in our show poll. Who do you want to win the World Series, Jays fans? 53.7% of you say Atlanta. 30.9% of you say Los Angeles. 5.7% say Houston. 
and 9.8% say the Red Sox. I'm surprised the Red Sox are that heavy when you consider their divisional uh, rivals. Barbara Trix uh, tweets in, I was going to go for the Giants versus Rays, but alas, hopefully it will be Dodgers-Astros instead with the Dodgers winning the World Series. Thank you. Victoria tweets in, I'm a fan of all teams all season except Atlanta. San Francisco Giants are out, so it's L.A. Dodgers moving forward. Victoria, thank you. Tony tweets in, this is difficult. <laughs> yes, it is, isn't it, Tony, if you're a Jays fan uh, watching this. Bacchus tweets in, it says some Canadian reps on Atlanta, so let's get at it. Jordan tweets in, anybody but Boston. Jordan, you're not alone in your thinking there. Uh, Kay Stewart tweets in, thinks L.A. will pounce the Astros. And Owen Sound says, it's Dodgers by process of elimination. You got to get rid of the Red Sox because they're the Red Sox. You got to get rid of the Astros because of the cheating scandal. And you got to get rid of the Braves because of the chop. Owen Sound, thank you. And Vaxxed and Living the Dream says, agree. I can't understand why people would choose any of the other three. And Jason tweets in and says, none of the above. It is a tough one. And a tough spot if you're Jays fans. Great reaction on Twitter at the Raj590. You can email Roger at sportsnet590.ca or text 590-590. We'll get to some more emails and text uh, later on in the show. Get you up to date on the NFL. Third quarter action has started in those 1 o'clock games. I mentioned earlier, Kansas City Chiefs off to a really sluggish start and I think that's being charitable down to Washington 13 to 10 early in the third quarter Patrick Mahomes two interceptions no touchdown passes in the first half I don't know no alarm bells in Kansas City they're too good they're too deep not to get it straightened out but that is not the start anybody saw coming uh, from them the Rams are off to a fabulous start. They lead the Giants 28-3. to Third quarter, but just about to get underway at MetLife Stadium there. Colts on top of the Texans, 17-3. to Third quarter has uh, started in that one. Bengals routing the Lions 17 to nothing. Uh, Mixon with a 40-yard touchdown among uh, the Bengals' touchdowns in that one. Ten minutes to go in the third quarter there. Long year ahead at Ford Field, unfortunately, for uh, Lions fans. Packers up 10-7 on the Bears early in the third quarter at Soldier Field. Pretty good defensive battle uh, going there. Ravens have the offense going. They lead the Chargers 24-6. 7.39 to go in the third quarter there. And the Vikings up on top of the Panthers 12-10 at the half at Bank of America Stadium. Those are all the 1 o'clock starts. 4 o'clock starts, Cardinals at Browns, Raiders at Broncos, Cowboys at Patriots, Sunday Sunday Nighter is the Seahawks and the Steelers, and the Bills and Titans go on Monday. So another fascinating week as always in the NFL. I'm Roger Lajoie, Sportsnet Today. Coming up in our final hour... Joshua Cloak is the Leafs and Canadians writer, or Canadian soccer writer, I should say, for The Athletic. We'll talk about the Maple Leafs. A lot of you Leaf fans swear you've had enough of this team and you're off the bandwagon. We'll hear from you by your comments as well, and we'll hear from Joshua's comments on the Leafs' 2-1 start to the season. And speaking of the NFL, Lee Hacksaw Hamilton is a legendary sports talk show host in uh, San Diego. Joins us on a regular basis on Sportsnet today and always has great insight on the NFL. We'll check in on all the games and how they're going as well. Don't forget again, game two of the NLCS between the Braves and the Dodgers tonight, 730, right here on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Until 4 o'clock, it is Sportsnet today, though, on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. I'm Roger Lejoie. 
The sports information you can't live without is right here on Sportsnet Today. Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Sportsnet Today, Sportsnet 590, the fan, Roger Wishwalt with you until 4 o'clock. Game 2, the NLCS, Braves and Dodgers tonight. Three games, 7 o'clock, first pitch just after 7.30. Also on Sportsnet 590, the fan, Max Scherzer, Game 5 hero in the NLDS. On the mound for the Dodgers, Ian Anderson counters for the Braves. Scherzer only threw 13 pitches to close out the NLDS. And as a result, did not start Game 1, but starts Game 2. Ian Anderson, a good postseason pitcher in his own right for the Braves. All of a sudden, the Dodgers need a win as the Braves win the opener of that series. Lots of great NLCS coming up later on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Lee Hacksaw Hamilton is coming up later in this hour on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. He's legendary sports talk show host in San Diego. We'll talk about all the NFL games on the go and what we've seen today around the NFL with Lee. But right now, let's get back and talk some Leafs. Joshua Cloak joins us, the Leafs and Canadian soccer writer for The Athletic. Joshua, great to visit with you as always. Let's start with these Toronto Maple Leafs. Joshua, it's one of these things, you know, over, over COVID and the schedule and the, everything we've been through in sports in all of the leagues, I didn't really realize it until it was pointed out to me today that the fact that the Leafs are playing the New York Rangers on Monday will be the first time they have played a non-Canadian rival, and I can't even count the days anymore, Joshua. I guess that's an intriguing thing when you consider we, you know, we're trying to get a read on how good the Leafs are. We've never seen them play anybody outside the Canadian division in almost two years. Yeah, and I do think it'll be something that the Leafs will kind of have to, to, to work with because you would have just gotten so comfortable playing the same teams over and over. And you look at the three teams or the two teams that they've faced so far, Ottawa and Montreal, I, I wouldn't call either one a playoff team. So they really haven't had that kind of test yet that I, I, I think will really kind of determine what this team is all about. And that's not necessarily what the New York Rangers are. Um, but just kind of seeing new lineups and, and switching things up, I think that's going to be really important for the Leafs and for Sheldon Keefe in particular, just to get a sense of kind of what this team is. Again, like coming into the season, there were just so many questions about some of the newer guys on the Leafs and, and you know, the goaltending. Um, and I, I don't know if we have a lot of answers to that to those questions yet. So hopefully, I think if you're Sheldon Keefe, you look at the opportunity to play some new teams and, and play teams you haven't for well, years, I guess now. Right. Um, and, and hopefully you can get some of those answers because um, you know, this, their division is tight. The Atlantic is a really, really tight division. It might be the best division. Um, and so it's going to be really important that, that Sheldon Keith kind of figure out, you know, how does this top nine look? What should his top six look like? Um, and, and I think we'll start to see some of those questions answered you know, as they start to play New York and as they go on their first kind of long road trip of the season, Pittsburgh, Chicago, and, and Carolina. Yeah, it will be interesting. And, of course, all those games, as, as teams as well, they have not played in, in such a long period of time. Uh, before we talk a little bit about last night's game and a little bit more about the Rangers, Joshua, let's do a, a three-game assessment. Ridiculously small sample size, granted. However, no Austin Matthews in the lineup. Uh, William Nylander has looked terrific. I think he's been the best forward on the ice just about every time he touches the puck for the Maple Leafs. Marner and Tavares with just a 
assist each in the first three games of the season. However, the bottom six stepping in, Jason Spezza very good against Ottawa, Kerfoot and Bunting scoring, all kinds of talking points. But that mishmash I just gave you, what's the highlight for you of the Leafs' first three games? Yeah, the highlight for me undoubtedly is William Nylander. Um, It's funny just I guess how much things change because I think a few years ago, you know, a lot of people were talking or kind of framing that William Nylander contract, $6.9 million, you know, the one that he missed a few months for while, while he and his team were negotiating with the Leafs. They were framing that, that contract as oh, maybe a bit of an overpay to some. Obviously, that contract is looking like a steal now, given just how he's kind of elevated his game. And, and you're right, has I not just been the Leafs' best forward, but their best player, I mean, going back into the playoffs last year against Montreal, William Nylander is just showing that kind of confidence. And to me, what's interesting, watching Nylander, he's going to areas of the ice that he wasn't always going to in seasons past, right? He's he's winning battles, and he's not doing so with, you know, serious physicality, but he's doing so with his agility, and he's just, he's showing that he can win battles, and you don't necessarily have to do that by throwing your body around. So we're just seeing that kind of, that kind of confidence and playmaking from William Nylander that is, again, elevating his game and making him look like one of the more dynamic forwards in the NHL right now. Uh, Michael Bunting is another player that has really, really impressed me. He's come as advertised, you know, just in his his grittiness, his physicality, and he gets to areas of the ice, you know, right in front of the net, those dirty areas that I think, you know, if you looked at this Leafs team last year, and and I know Sheldon Keefe and Kyle Dubas have talked about this. They didn't necessarily have those guys that would score those quote unquote playoff type goals, right? Those those dirty goals. And you see Michael Bunting showing a real willingness to to get to those areas. Um, so if we're looking just kind of at those three games and and the highlights, I would say Bunting and Nylander have been the standout performers so far. <laughs> Jason Spezza again is is just. I think we're just kind of, we've come to expect this kind of reserved poise from him. He looks really, really good. But those two players in particular, I, I mean, if, if we're looking at sort of the negatives, I guess, I, I don't, I, I haven't loved a lot of their, their play on, you know, from the blue line out. Uh, TJ Brody, Jake Muzzin haven't had some of their better games so far. Um, Jake Muzzin missed today's practice just due to a maintenance day. Um so I think that's probably a work in progress as well. Maybe a bit surprising given that there wasn't a lot of turnover on the blue line. But I think if you look at where they're at, you know, not having Austin Matthews in the lineup for the first three games, they probably feel okay about where they are with obviously a lot of room for improvement. And we're talking about, you know, Mitch Marner's production. I thought he, I think he's looked fine, but, you know, probably needs to produce a little bit more. Um, but yeah, work in progress, obviously. But if, again, if, if, if you're getting the kind of production and performances that you are from William Nylander, you have to feel good about where your team is at. Two and one is is two and one. There's no doubt about that. Joshua Cloak with us from the Athletic. I'm Roger Lejoie. So <clears throat> I mentioned you mentioned Marner, and I, I agree has not looked bad, and neither is John Tavares. They but they both only have an assist, Joshua, and especially when you see a situation developed with the backup goaltender last night, which emphasizes again just how tight up against the cap the Maple Leafs are your top performing players the pressure on them to be your top performing players is in is intense and regardless of how they've looked you know Marner and Tavares are there to 
put up points. And fortunately for the Leafs, they had great efforts from the bottom six forwards that allowed them to get four of the last six points. I don't want to say there's any level of concern. Marner and Tavares certainly are going to score their points when all is said and done. But just talk about how difficult it is in the Leafs situation to find a replacement for Austin Matthews or anybody else in this salary cap era. And that puts the focus on the big guns to act like big guns. Well, yeah, I mean, there's no replacement for Austin Matthews, right? He is, you know, at his best, he is arguably one of the best, if not, you know, probably one of the three best players in the NHL when he's at his best. I think that just with him missing, um, it just, it it throws the lines kind of off kilter. And these are lines that I think Sheldon Keefe really depended on last year. And I think, you know, he, he put in the time to make sure that these guys developed the chemistry needed to kind of to execute at the highest level. And so if you're, if you're Mitch Marner, right, you're playing, you know, with, with John Tavares up on the first line through these three games, which you haven't done for some time. And then you have Nick Ritchie, a completely new player, you know, on the other side. And I, again, if we're talking downsides or negatives, I don't think Nick Ritchie has looked really comfortable yet or even effective yet with the Leafs. Um, again, it's early. Um, so that's kind of the, the caveat with Marner and, and again, if you're if you're John Tavares, like you're you're going to produce more, you're going to get better opportunities when you're playing with William Nylander. Um, and again, like with him, and I, I really like that line of of Bunting Tavares and and Nylander. It just brings a little bit of everything, um, and and none of those three guys are are short on effort. Um, so I think that's probably the the caveat with with those two players is that just, they're just not playing on their standard lines. I think if Tavares wasn't producing while playing with Nylander, then maybe you have to ask questions. And if if Marner isn't producing while playing with with Austin Matthews, yeah, a, a lot of questions. Then those are the the same questions that were asked of him in the playoffs last year. But you know, when you have guys that have played together with with one of your line mates for so long, and you you don't have that that player, you know, in the center of the ice to start the season, uh, it becomes a bit difficult. So. I think, you know, patience is important with these players right now because it, this is, you know, the, the lines that they're on right now are probably not going to be the lines that we see them on throughout the, the majority of the season. I, I know I've used this a few times, but it's a work in progress and it's still very, very early in the season, as, as Jason Spetzer reminded, you know, the, the least media core the other day. Well, very true indeed. Um, Jack Campbell was very good last night. Jack Campbell has been very good all season it sounds funny to say that because he's only played 140 minutes but he's only allowed two goals uh, to start the year and with Morazic now out the pressure and focus will uh, be on him and we look at the backup goaltending situation and listen nobody can predict an injury but when Morazic goes out you're get, bringing an amateur goaltender in from the U of T as a backup which is embarrassing and then you're bringing in Michael Hutchinson who you know is Michael Hutchinson and let's just leave it at that Joshua I don't dislike him at all and actually you know there have been times that he's been uh, very serviceable. But is the Leafs' goaltending situation a concern at all? And fortunately for them, Campbell has been terrific. He certainly isn't giving anybody any reason to doubt him, but he looks like he's going to have to play a ton of hockey here as the games pile up. I mean, I think the Leafs' goaltending situation was a concern before the season even started, before Mrazek gets hurt, right? If you look at kind of a across the league there were a lot of league-wide kind of polls um in different websites that you know would rank the different goalie tandems and the different goalies across starting goalies across the league and the Leafs 
you know, scored quite low. Um, and I think justifiably so, because even though Jack Campbell looked, you know, like a bona fide number one goalie last year, he also did it for, you know, not nearly, I mean, not even a half season when you look at the games that he played. So it's fair to, to question whether or not Jack Campbell can play the way he did last year over 82 games. I mean, I, I do think that, you know, with him knowing the net will be his for the next two weeks, that's going to build his confidence um, because that's kind of the, the flip side of a tandem goalie setup. Yes, you know, the the optimist would, would lead you to believe that it, it would push each goalie to kind of be at their best. But if we're talking the mental side, um, you know, knowing, you know, having to look over your shoulder quite often and wondering how the other guy is doing, there's a serious kind of, you know, negative mental aspect to that. So if you're Jack Campbell, you know you have the net, you know, probably I would imagine Michael Hutchinson gets at least one of the back-to-backs. But otherwise, Jack Campbell knows it's his goal, and so hopefully he's able to just go and play free of any distractions, right? So I I, I think there are questions coming into the season, um, and I don't think we're we have anything close to an answer so far. But again, if you're an optimist, you know Jack Campbell now has the net, and you can see what he's able to do You know, when he knows he's the guy. He was the guy last year, and that's how he played the way he did. So, I, I mean, if, if Jack Campbell falters, we have a, a, a big problem in Toronto. Um, but I, I, I think if we're just looking at it, you know, these 14 days that, that Mrazek is going to be out, I don't, I, it's not a serious, serious cause for concern right now. No, still early and 14 days is certainly not a, a long period of time. Hopefully he's back, though, and provides some stability. You already talked about concern about the back end and, and how good that is, and that obviously ties into goaltending and the team's ability uh, to play good defense and come playoff time, Joshua, play a, a tight-checking uh, a, a style. That all said, the Leafs haven't, you know, run and gunned anybody to get to 2-1. and one. Uh, They've just, you know, been okay and... Uh, Good goaltending, uh, good offensive production from bottom six forwards. Nothing spectacular about it. What's your level of confidence in this team being able to to win games? Well, the way they did against Ottawa last night, three to one, getting some key goals early, a good start, and some good goaltending. Yeah, I, I think my level of confidence is still high, and I say that you know because they, once you inject Austin Matthews in the lineup, everything changes. And I know we've talked about him a lot, but. You know, there's there's a reason, you know, that that you you want players like him in your lineup. There's a reason that, you know, he is who he is. And and I think, you know, once you have that kind of player, what it does too is it makes your power play that much better too. I think Spencer Carberry has come in, you know, the new assistant coach, and I think he's done well with the power play to make it a little less reliant on Austin Matthews' shot, his one timer, which I think the power play could be accused of being, you know, last season in particular. So you bring him in and yeah, he's not going to be the focal point, but he's just one other option on the power play. Um, The Leafs have shown to to do pretty well when it comes to drawing penalties. You look at what David Kampf and Michael Bunting have have done this year to draw penalties. So that's a strength too. But I guess just in in terms of level of confidence, I I, I think this team is going to be fine, maybe more than fine because I do think the players, some of the players that we've talked about are going to continue to take that next step in their career, right? If if I have confidence in William Nylander's game getting to, you know, a 35, 40 goal pace, I have, I have confidence in 
in Austin Matthews scoring, you know, 55 goals this year. I have, I have confidence in Mitch Marner being able to block out the noise that's kind of surrounded him and, and play kind of liberated as he's looked to me throughout the first three games. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think um, – I don't find any real cause for concern. Yeah, we're, we're, we're waiting for them to have that kind of breakout, you know, 5-0, 6-0 game. Um, but I think those are com- those will come. This is a team that, you know, they know who their coach is. Their coach has been with them for a while. You know, they, they know, they recognize the, the kind of pressure that's on them. I think this is a group that's that's grown pretty close over the last few years. So, I mean, just again, my opinion, I think my confidence in this this group is, is high because I think they, they recognize what they need to do to win. And they probably also recognize that if they can't, you know, have another successful season, there's going to be changes. And I don't think, you know, a lot of these guys want those changes, right? Leafs and Rangers on Monday, and uh, we'll see if the Leafs uh, can uh, get uh, another win to improve to 3-1. and one. Joshua Cloak with us from The Athletic. Joshua, I'm glad you said nil in your last answer there, because it's a perfect segue to talk some soccer with you for a couple of minutes before we let you go, mm-hmm. because, of course, that's part of your duties with uh, The Athletic. Give us your read on Canada's performance against Panama uh, last week, and i, I got to tell you, Joshua, there is an awful lot of expectation and excitement uh, surrounding that team, but what do you think? Yeah, it's you know I, I asked John Herdman post game um, if that four one win over Panama um, was the most important win of his his career with Canada, and he said no. Um, but I I get the sense that it would have been really really close. He he ranked Canada's win over Costa Rica in um, in the Gold Cup and, and doing so without Alfonso Davies as, as the most important win of his career. But I think the reason that that this team you know, or that win, I should say, was so important is because you have a team that is right above you in the World Cup qualifying table in Panama. You're playing at home in an absolute must-win game, and you go down 1-0 within five minutes. And this is still a young team, a young learning team, right? When your leader is is 20 years old, um, you're going to expect some bumps along the road. But to me, to watch the team not kind of veer away from their game plan and veer away from their style of play, which is an attack first kind of high energy brand of soccer and to not figure, let's just try and get one now and hold on for a draw, but just really go at Panama really relentlessly and, and, and get that four, one win. And, you know, now they have as many goals as, as any other team in CONCACAF right now. That's important when it comes to qualifying. Um, so I think that's why that win in particular generated the buzz obviously Alfonso Davies you know highlight real goal which I'm sure a lot of people listening have have kind of seen on repeat because it it was that good of a goal anyway I think that's those are all the reasons why that game was so important and you know just in terms of I guess my read on this team right now they're in a really really good place right we have eight games remaining they have eight games remaining and they need I would say 12 points to qualify so you need four wins from eight games at an absolute minimum I, I i think that's doable i think that's doable when you consider that they've already had their road games against mexico and the united states and they've gotten draws from them this is a team in a really really good spot and i think this is also a team that's really kind of coming into their own 
And I don't think we've actually seen the best of this team yet. Um, and if you're John Herdman, you, you have to love that, right? No question about it. It is exciting. Speaking of Davies, he was subbed out of Bayern's game today after 40 minutes. Coach said he felt pain in his thigh, didn't want to take any chances. We'll see if he plays on Wednesday. Um, but obviously, it's stating the obvious, but his ongoing kind of injury concerns uh, remains a factor, not just for Bayern, but obviously for Team Canada. Yeah, and this is going to be one of the biggest challenges for, for John Herdman moving forward. Is it, It's kind of a double-edged sword, right? You have your best players in the world playing, you know, in more competitions, you know, playing in Champions League. And look, that's great. That's a sign of your program and your squad evolving and growing in a way that, that they would want, right? They want their players playing in those big moment games because that develops the kind of confidence that you'll need to, to qualify for World Cup. The flip side of that is it means your players are going to be asked to play so much more. Bayern has a Champions League game on Wednesday against Benfica, and this is after playing three full matches for Canada. Um, it's, it's a lot to ask of a player, you know, in, in what, a week and a half? That it, It's a lot. Um, you know, we know Davies has these kind of lingering injury concerns, but I think that's just basically that can be attributed to the way he plays, right? He plays an energetic, you know, really pacey game, which, you know, would lend itself to injuries a little bit more. So I think that's going to be the the challenge um, as you get into these windows where you need players like Alfonso Davies, but you also have to recognize when should we use him, right? I think if in hindsight, some people are asking, why did he play against Jamaica, a game that, you know, came in the middle of that window. Maybe you bring in some other players against Jamaica, kind of a lower level team. I think that's going to be the challenge moving forward is should we only play, you know, Alfonso Davies in these big moments or should we kind of recognize that we have one of the best players, the best player in the region, so we should play him all the time. And, you know, what happens at Bayern happens at Bayern. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a lot more communication between Bayern, Bayern and Canada soccer right now because, you know, Canada soccer recognize how much they need him. And I think, you know, if, if you're Bayern, you recognize how much you need Davies, but also how much Canada qualifying for the World Cup means, you know, for the exposure of Alfonso Davies and the exposure of Bayern too. So, that's kind of the, the middle ground that I think both both parties are going to need to, to reach. And it, it will definitely be a really interesting story leading in to the November qualifiers, which, of course, are at Alfonso Davies' hometown of Edmonton. Yep, no question. The fans looking forward to seeing Davies healthy and in those games. We shall see. Joshua Cloak is a Leaf and Canadian soccer writer for The Athletic, joining us here on Sportsnet today. Joshua, great stuff as always. Thanks so much for being with us. Oh, anytime, Raj. Thanks so much. Thank you, Joshua Cloak, joining us from The Athletic. We'll see. Hopefully, Davey's not serious. And again, Coach just saying, didn't want to take any risk. And hopefully, he can play on Wednesday uh, for Bayern. We shall see. Let's listen in to some of your comments here as I read them on text. 590-590. Maple Leaf fans, little sour on the team. John in Oshawa says the Leafs will make the playoffs and choke. No cup again this year, and bye-bye Morgan Riley. Next year, they cannot afford him. John, thank you. Well, a lot can happen between now and next year, both salary cap-wise and with the Leafs. But you're not alone in your pessimism. Um, We've got another... uh, Texter says, hey, Raj, I was always a diehard Leaf fan, but this year if they make it past the first round, I will be back 
Otherwise, it's time to follow a serious contender. You're not the only guy saying that, and you're not the only guy that hangs with his team. I know Leaf fans are frustrated, but there is still hope from some of you. John and Markham says whether Marner is getting paid at 400000 per point, his current rate, or 100000 per point, the contract rate. Either way, I haven't seen anything to legitimize the cap or the contract in a long time. And that year-end presser last year was the kicker for me. It's time to move on, says John in Markham. John, thank you. Mitch Marner certainly needs to produce more than one assist in three games agreed. The size of the contract, your point about cost per point, or whatever end of the day the team's winning that no longer becomes a discussion point but it will be if uh if the Leafs don't win uh for sure another texter says I think people are being too hard on John Tavares he's a solid 200 foot two-way player who is a leader and can elevate the wingers he plays with Marner is a great player and a very talented winger but he needs time and space and without Matthews on the ice he doesn't have any we can't afford Marner. He's probably worth what we're paying him, but we can't afford him with the current structure. That's a fair point. However, playoffs will determine how we feel about this team, and uh, let's uh, leave it at that for now. Great comments on the Leafs. Got a lot on the Jays. We'll get to them shortly because the poll is still up at Fan 590. Jays fans, who are you cheering for? Atlanta, L.A., Boston, or Houston? No surprise, Atlanta and L.A., way ahead of Boston and Houston. We'll read your comments uh, coming up shortly. Lee Hacksaw Hamilton joining us to talk about the NFL in just a couple of moments. And let's update those NFL scores. Kansas City's back on top of Washington, 17-13 to as they start the fourth quarter. Hill with a two-yard touchdown uh, catch, putting the Chiefs in front. Rams all over the Giants, 38-3. to Early fourth quarter there. Colts up on the Texans 24-3. Fourth quarter at Lucas Oil Stadium as well. Bengals handing it to the Lions at Ford Field. 27-0. Enough said there. Packers up on the Bears, 17-7. to Jones with the latest uh, touchdown catch in that one for the Packers. Ravens up on the Chargers, 34-6. to And the Vikings now ahead of the Panthers, 18-17. to You're all caught up on the NFL scores, but you're not caught up on how those games have gone and some of the news and notes from around the NFL. And that's what Lee Hacksaw Hamilton is going to do when he joins us in minutes. Sportsnet Today continues. I'm Roger Lejoie Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Sportsnet today, Sportsnet 590, the fan, Roger Lajoie with you until the top of the hour. CBS Sports Radio will keep you entertained until 7 p.m. And then we've got the pregame show with the Braves and Dodgers, followed by the game. 7.30 p.m. right here on Sportsnet 590, the fan. Game two, Atlanta up 1-0. Max Scherzer, the game five hero in the NLDS, taking the mound for the Dodgers, Ian Anderson for the Braves. Anderson, a very good postseason pitcher as well. Should be a great one. 
Stay tuned. Coming up later on. Busy week in the NFL as always, and always fun to talk NFL with Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, legendary sports talk show host in San Diego. You can get his great work at LeeHacksawHamilton.com, and he joins us now. Lee, always fun to chat with you, sir. Hey, we got to start um, before we even talk about some of the games today. I want your read on the whole John Rudin, uh, Gruden situation, uh, and now the ramifications that are left for the Raiders organization. Uh, a messy situation to say the leastly. Yeah, nice to chat with you again, Roger, across Canada. Uh, I guess the, the term black hole now has a new meaning as it relates to Raider football. Uh, this is a horrific set of circumstances. Uh, to me, it's a terrible betrayal uh, of the players in that locker room, what John Gruden did. The fact that all these emails uh, were there over a seven-year span, right to the point when he became the coach of the Raiders. Uh, you know, I, I view Ray, uh, John Gruden a little bit differently than a lot of other people. Uh, I, I think he's a street-smart guy, but I also think he's a punk. And I think what he did was a disservice to his owner, and what he did, the way he acted, was a terrible display of disloyalty to the guys he's supposed to lead, the African-American players in that Raider locker room, and the one gay player who went public. And for him to make public statements about, I support this program, I, I back Carl Nassib, my openly gay player, and now we find out for a, a seven-year span that he was writing all this junk and private emails to people around the National Football League. Um, I'll be intrigued to see what the NFL does. He was an employee of ESPN. Uh, he's lost his job. I think he's committed professional suicide. He'll never coach in the league again. I don't think he'll work in the media again. Now, does the league have a chance to stand up and fine him a million dollars? Does the league suspend him for years for conduct detrimental uh, to the game? It's going to be interesting to see what the league does going forward. Uh, I, I, I was just shocked, but I've seen so much of Gruden all the years I was the voice of the Chargers and the Seahawks, and I, I just felt that he had an edge, and he was always looking to create issues, and now it's all caught up to him. And uh, there's still unanswered questions. You know, how many people are on the receiving end of these emails? What's that chain? Did anybody receiving those emails respond in similar fashion to some of the stuff that Gruden did? That remains to be seen. Uh, is the league going to try to tamp this down, make it go away? Are they going to cover it up? I, Like I say, a lot of unanswered questions. And there's, there's another angle to the whole story. In about uh, 45 minutes, the Raiders are going to play the Denver Broncos. What is the emotional state of the Raider team coming out of that locker room? Uh, how horrific a distraction has this become? What are they going to be able to do to rally emotionally and play on the edge to win this game up in Denver? I will say this. It's, gotten, it's not gotten a lot of coverage. Derek Carr, the quarterback, stood up in the locker room in midweek and had a players-only meeting with every guy on that roster. Nobody else was allowed inside that room. Some of the information has leaked out uh, in, in which he broke into tears. And he, he talked about his relationship with Gruden. And, you know, he, he led the conversation by saying, I love the man, but I hate the sin. And that led to a lot of other things that he said about accountability, responsibility, betrayal, etc. I was so impressed with what Derek Carr did. He's, he's a very quiet leader. Uh, he's had a really good career. I think the relationship with Gruden has helped him grow as a player and probably as a person. Deeply religious. Uh, his wife and seven kids. 
and he broke down and wept in the middle of the speech to his teammates. So if anybody can lead them out of the abyss that John Gruden dragged them into, it's probably going to be Derek Carr. I don't think they'll have heard the end of the story. No, not indeed, and uh, an ugly story it is, uh, 100%. Uh, Lee games going on in the NFL to uh, talk about, and I, I, like some of them are still about to go final, but I'm just curious, and the Chiefs now have rallied and are up on Washington 24-13, but in the early going of this season, their kind of stumbling pedestrian start has raised a few eyebrows. Do you have any kind of level of concern with the Chiefs, or at the end of the day, this is just a, a blip, and, and they're going to be you know, right in the mix as everyone expects them to become uh, Super Bowl time. 17-game season. I think that gives teams a bit, of, a bit of leeway if they stagger, struggle, or have injury problems. There's still time to rally back. When you look closely at the Kansas City storyline, there's, there's two things that stand out to me. They have four new offensive linemen, and maybe it takes time to indoctrinate a group to play in front of of that quarterback who's not a normal standard quarterback. I'm talking about the movement ability of, of Patrick Mahomes, the creative genius, etc. So I, I just think it takes time. He's, he's turned the ball over, which is kind of stunning, because historically under Andy Reid, they did not do that up till this point. The flip side of that, they're a defensive mess, and they've not really addressed it. Every time they make a roster move, it's like they go get another offensive guy. Well, what are you going to do? about your defense. Uh, Chris Davis was uh, given a monster contract uh, last season uh, and has not quite played up to that contract. has been in and out of the lineups, limit injuries at linebacker. Secondary outside of Tyron Matthew is not, not done very much, but there is a lot of football to be played. But, uh, yeah, it was kind of strange to see where Kansas City is turning the ball over Sunday by Sunday and losing games, but I still think they'll rally this thing back. L.A. Rams have been a uh, great story throughout uh, the early portion of this season, and they are up 38-3 against the Giants uh, today on the road. How impressed, how good is this Ram team going to be, Lee? Well, item A, very dynamic offense. I mean, if you pulled up a depth chart and you looked at all the skilled people they have, led by Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, and then they add Deshaun Jackson, and they found a mixed bag at running back. They lost their, their top young back, Cam Akers, with a ruptured Achilles, but they've replaced him with Sonny Michel of the New England Patriots and then the second-year running back, Daryl Henderson. That's a really good group, and Matthew Stafford is not Jared Goff. Matthew Stafford throws the ball downfield. Matthew Stafford has a little bit of fire in his gut, uh, and he's making lots of plays and throwing for lots of big yardage uh, with the Rams. That's, that's positive note A. Negative note, B, they've lost a lot of depth on their defense, and I think that's a huge issue. I think five or six guys from that defense, a few starters led by Michael Brockers, and a whole bunch of role players that came off the bench that made things happen and were very active on the field, all those guys went other places to play in NFL free agency. So they're good. Uh, are they good enough to be in the NFC championship game? Well, if they, if they find some of these young pups, behind uh, the starters who can contribute and be what they had last year that got away, then I think they're going to be right there. But there's no doubt they're dynamic offensively. 
Jacksonville Jaguars get a uh, win today over the Dolphins, uh, <laughs> of course, in the uh, overseas game. And, and, I, and I'm chuckling because it shows you how far that Dolphin team has fallen. And we're going to get to the Bills in a second in the Monday Nighter, uh, Lee. But uh, it certainly shows that uh, the Miami Dolphins are uh, just reeling right now. Well, a couple of items in the Miami equation. Uh, you know, they did. They lost Tua, Taco Viola, the quarterback. I mean, and he played today, but he's obviously kind of out of sync. I mean, he missed three games with fractured ribs. That's that's a bit of an issue. They don't have any wide receivers. I mean, Devontae Parker and their wideouts have all been dinged and hurt the first five or six weeks of the season, so they're really operating the offense with one hand behind their back. Uh, Brian Flores did a great job. The team got progressively better and better last season to the point, you know, they, they beat New England early on uh, last year. So I, I still think that they're going to improve, but I, I think there's a bigger question. Is Tua the right guy? Can he be a difference maker or is he just a game manager? That's why these rumors continue to swirl out there that Miami's ownership wants to talk to Houston about a conditional trade to Deshaun Watson, who's not being allowed to play even though he's getting paid and he's on the active roster, doesn't practice with the team. It may well be that Miami just pushes the envelope here, makes the conditional trade to get Deshaun Watson, get him in there, get him ready to play, and play him. Because the NFL's not removed him and not put him on the commissioner's exempt list. Uh, He's kind of being held hostage by the league, and I don't understand why the union is not raising holy hell about this. Either he's guilty of sexual misconduct, you've had all these months to sort through the information, or he's not guilty and let him get back on the field and earn his salary. So that that might be the solution in Miami because I'm starting to have doubts that Tua is, is nothing more than a game manager, and I think in the NFL you really need a guy that's a difference maker. Lee Hacksaw Hamilton is with us. I'm Roger Lajoie, Sportsnet. Today, as we look around uh, the NFL, Lee, Monday night, Bills take on the Titans. Josh Allen and company, the offense is rolling. I talked about the Chiefs' struggles and the rest of the AFC, the and, and the fact that the Dolphins, in particular, are struggling in the division. The Patriots only have a couple of wins. I mean, the Bills look to have a clear path, uh, as they did last year, to get into the AFC Championship game. Long way to go, but your thoughts on their 4 and one start after losing in week one and this team's ability to to continue to rack up wins well they're the real deal you know they've, they've got great gifted wide receivers uh, i mean stefan diggs has got a special chemistry with josh allen now they add emmanuel sanders coming on board from denver he's a very very good route runner so he makes a difference along the way uh, they're doing running back by committee. I, I, I thought maybe they'd have a little bit more of a power run game, but you know, Josh Allen's like a, is running back addendum to what they've got on the field. So that's pretty impressive. And lost in all the conversation, they do play good defense. And now they added Greg Rousseau, the kid out of Miami, as, as an alternate pass rusher. So that looks like a really, really complete football team. Now, are they going to the AFC championship game? Well, you never know. Postseason is a really different animal. And, you know, we're, we're sitting here and we talked about Kansas City, and I still think they're going to be a player before this is done. And I'm sitting here at home in Southern California watching the Baltimore Ravens pound the Chargers. And both those teams are probably going to be deep into January uh, in the AFC playoffs. So uh, there's still a lot of good football to be played. and There's still some pretty doggone good teams. But Buffalo's right there with the rest of them. 
Hacksaw, one more before we let you go, and always appreciate your time. It's baseball-wise, because we've got the Braves and the Dodgers coming up, and you are in Southern California. Were you surprised that Braves were able to get the win in Game 1, and the Dodgers' resiliency is obvious. That Giants series was absolutely spectacular. They won the World Series last year. They don't, there's no concerns about them, but Max Scherzer with the ball. This is a big game for the Dodgers tonight. Assess what we've seen so far in this series. Yeah, I'm a little bit surprised at the, the gambling aspect of what the Dodgers have done with the bullpen days. I'm just really kind of surprised about that. But I'll tell you, that series with the Giants, you know, those two teams, Roger, played 24 times this season. They each won 12. Uh, the, the Dodgers are still playing because they have 110 wins. The Giants went home with 109 victories, but they got shortchanged on third strike calls in the ninth inning of that uh, National League Divisional final game. Uh, I'm just a little surprised at the analytics and all that stuff with the bullpen days because I, I think bullpen days, yes, can create havoc for the other guy's batting order, but bullpen days also delete your bullpen if you have to go to it when you're regular starters if they don't do well the next time out. Uh, so that's a big issue as to the gambles that Dave Roberts took. But there is resiliency. I, uh, I'll say this, not having Max Muncie creates a bit of a hole in that batting order for, for the Dodgers. Uh, but they've got a lot of chemistry guys that can kind of step up and, and make a play. You know, if Chris Taylor doesn't stumble around second base and fall down, maybe he winds up going to third. Maybe the Dodgers are the ones that wind up getting that ninth inning run to win the game rather than him stumbling and then getting picked in the rundown when he tried to get back to second base. But uh, a lot of good baseball to be played. And I'll tell you, great credit for Atlanta. I mean, if you consider... Atlanta has not had Ronald Acuna and Marcelo Zuna, two of their big power hitters, for an extended period of time. And they did not have the number one pitcher, Mike Soroka, for the entire season, got hurt twice with arm problems. But their front office went out and got him Adam Duvall, went out and got him Jack Peterson. So, I mean, Atlanta has really, they're playing collectively as a team as good as you can humanly play. I think this series is going to go seven. Uh, I just hope that the gambling with, with the Dodgers go into the bullpen days to start this series does not come back to haunt them because well, I think they used eight pitchers uh, in game one and that's that shortens your bullpen if, if Scherzer doesn't have a good outing in the second outing and he's not been as dominant as the last three or four starts I think there's a little fatigue factor there but no doubt he'll go out and grind and grit and he'll he'll be there and he will not want to give the ball up if Dave Roberts has to go to the mountain to get him. Yeah, it will be fun to see that element of game two coming up tonight, 7.30, right here on Sportsnet 590. The fan, Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, joins us on a regular basis on Sportsnet today. Be sure to check out his website. Hacksaw, stay well. Always great to chat, my friend. My pleasure, Rog. Have yourself a great weekend. You too. Lee Hacksaw Hamilton joining us. I'm Roger Lejoie. Let's clean up uh, some... Uh, text here before we get the views of our producer and technical director today. Phil and Curtis says it's hard to root for cheating teams like the Red Sox and Astros. If only the gavel of Judge Lannis had hit them with the justice of yesteryear. <laughs> Go Braves. Phil, thank you. Uh, yeah, different different time, different uh, situation. When you really look at it, eh, what, what really happened to the Red Sox and the Astros as a result of that cheating from a competitive standpoint? I don't want to open up that whole can of worms, but that's a great point. John in Oakville says, I'm still peed at the Jays. They gave the Red Sox the World Series MVP a few years ago. Yes, they did, and Steve Pierce, he was terrific. Frankie in Keswick says, Atlanta, I would love to see Alex win one. Frankie, thank you. And 
Chris in Orangeville says, Roger, I always wish Alex success, but I can't root for the Braves. Always thought the tomahawk chop and accompanying chat by the fans was dumb and embarrassing, but now I find it absolutely cringeworthy. Don't wish to put up with it through an entire World Series. Chris, thank you. Yeah, the, Bra- the Atlanta Braves should read the room when it comes to that. I'm in total agreement there. However, the majority of you are cheering for Atlanta because in our poll at Twitter, at the Raj 590 just went final. 53.8% of you are cheering for Atlanta, 30.9% for Los Angeles, 9.8% for Boston, and just 5.5% for the Houston Astros. Thanks to everybody who voted and commented throughout the show. J.R. Manitad did a great job, as always, producing the show. J.R., as a Jays fan, who do you want to see win the World Series this year? Yeah, I got to agree with a lot of our listeners and the, the, those who have voted in the poll. I think the Atlanta Braves have to be one of your favorites to, to win, that you want to win as a Jays fan to win the World Series this year. Uh, from a Canadian boy, Alex Anthopoulos, you want to root for the guy, although he it was it was uh, like the outcome when he left as a Jay, uh, leaving the front office was a bit, you know, controversial. But, I mean, he did his best in turning uh, the Atlanta Braves seat, um, uh, franchise around when he entered uh, the front office and back in 2017. Although they had their own issues with an, an, an internal MLB investigation with, with when it came to uh, international signings, it's good to see a lot of these young players at in Atlanta. They're kind of like the Jays. They have a nice little young squad. And to see uh, our, our very own Canadian Alex Anthopoulos to win one and hopefully bring one to Atlanta, it's good to see that. And you, you want to you want to see that. You want to support other Canadians. Boston, you don't want to see uh, another team in your in the same division to win one. Houston, you don't want to see cheaters to win one. Although maybe if Houston were to make it down to the World Series, uh, this and not have you know, I mean, I'm sure they're not cheating now, but to to be in the World Series for Houston, that's a, a great accomplishment for them that they can still do it without you know the buzzers and if even even seeing la to do go back to back and see how their run in the playoffs so far this year it, it'll, it'll be nice to see them go to back to back but yeah i am rooting for as a jays, jays fan uh for atlanta braves to win it all andrew dutch holland our technical director how would you vote in the poll andrew I voted for Atlanta, like uh, like JR and a lot of the audience, uh, for a few reasons. One, Alex, you know, I, I liked Alex when he was here, and it, I just would support him anywhere he went. He seems like a great guy, and he did a great job in Toronto. So, And I was uh, actually like, I, I grew up in what I think is kind of the heyday of the Braves. They won 13 straight division titles, the big three, Maddox, Glavin, Smoltz, Andrew Jones, Chipper Jones, all those guys. I I was a big Braves fan. They were kind of the National League team I cheered for. So I sort of go back to the time when I was a kid. And also, I just want a bit of a change. You know, the uh, Astros have been to five straight ALCSs. They made the World Series and they won the World Series. The Red Sox, it just seems like they're there every year. The Dodgers have been to, I think, three of the last four World Series and one last year. So I, I would just like a bit of a change. That's that's kind of the big motivating factor. Just, you know, I'm tired of the same teams always winning. Well, I want to then know what both of you think of this because I, we were talking about it earlier. And by the way, I agree. I like Alex Anthopoulos. I liked him in Toronto. I liked him in L.A. And I liked him with Atlanta. I wish him well. And they would be my rooting interest as well. But as a Jays fan for both of you, uh, maybe Andrew, you first, and then JR. All right. Is it? Is it frustrating to watch 
Boston, uh, get it turned on and have a crack to go to the World Series? Or is it, does it kind of make you pleased because you realize, well, the Jays were probably better than Boston, and therefore I feel better because look how close they were? Or is it just more frustrating? Because to me, I, I cannot see... I, I do not understand this run from the Boston Red Sox. Chris Sale hasn't been very good. I know they're bashing the ball. They barely limped in uh, to the playoffs. They could barely beat Washington. As a Jays, as a Jays supporter, I would be mad about that, not happy that Boston is winning. But, Andrew, how do you look at the Red Sox and what they've been able to do here? You know, I, I completely agree with you, Raj. As a Jays fan, I, I just look at it and I say, how is this team where they are like how did they get there i look at the roster and it it's not the most impressive roster the jays roster seems more impressive to me and i'm not so upset about it in the fact that oh it's not the jays there because the jays just didn't start early enough they were one of the best teams in the league post all-star break really in late august and september is when they did their big damage but they just didn't win early enough so it's like i'm not upset about that like I would have preferred the Yankees because I look at that roster and I say, oh, my God, look at that lineup. How can anyone beat that team? And they had decent enough pitching and a fantastic bullpen. That's that's the team I could understand being there. But the Red Sox, it just seems like I don't think they had any expectations going into this season. At least that's what I've kind of heard over the year. And they've just sort of surprised everyone. It's a little bit like the Giants, I thought, in the National League, where they did not have expectations going into this year. I think it was just kind of a you know, see where they're at for the future. And then they win 107 games. And clearly I thought the Dodgers had a better roster. So I wasn't surprised that they lost. So the Red Sox, yeah, that, it just so surprises me. And you're right. It upsets me because I'm just like, that's not a good enough roster to be a World Series champion. JR, how do you feel about the Red Sox? you got a minute here. Yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bit salty uh, still about the Jays not making the playoffs because because that that Red Sox team right now, that should have been our spot for, as a, uh, for the Jays. And yeah, I, I agree with Holland. This is not a really exciting team from top to bottom. Um, you, you compare them to the Yankees from top to bottom, their lineup, they, what what they've done during the trade deadline, what we've done in the, the, at the trade deadline for the Jays. The top two exciting teams in the AL East are probably uh, um, oh, Houston's included there, but the Yankees and the Jays would have been nice to see them in the postseason. But yeah, it's 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 weird to see the Boston Red Sox in the postseason. It should have been us. It should have been the Jays. A lot of fans agree with you. Great job, J.R. Manitad, our producer, and Andrew Dutchallen, our technical director. Can't thank you guys enough. Great work as always, boys, and thank you. Thanks to everybody who voted in our poll, Jays fans especially, for weighing in. And thanks to all of you for listening to Sportsnet today. Always great to be with you. You can follow me on Twitter anytime at the Raj 590 We'll talk again soon. Stick around. we got CBS Sports Radio coming up between 4 and 7 at 7 o'clock pregame show with the Braves and the Dodgers. Game goes tonight at 730 Max Scherzer with the ball for L.A. Ian Anderson for the Braves should be a great one. We've got lots of postseason coverage of MLB, Raptors opener, and Leaf games throughout the week. So keep it locked in right here to Sportsnet 590 The Fan. I'm Roger Lajoie. Thanks for listening to Sportsnet today on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Roger Lajoie. It's done! See you later! Roger Lajoie. I like that. I like that a lot. Good night, everybody!